The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. Okay, I am your host, Radicat, and you can find me at Radicat on Twitter, you can find me at News News Need on Twitter, you can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. And the sound effects you've heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn, one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Coming in from the Borough of Kings. Co-hosting as always. And you can find this here podcast on the Coastal Podcast Network at CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this on your podcast for a place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal Podcast Network SoundCloud page. Make sure to hit like and subscribe and give us all the five star reviews, the best five star reviews. And, of course, you can find us uh, normally recording every Thursday night, 9.30-ish p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on uh, YouTube.com slash TheClickNation. That's T-H-E-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N. And Twitch.tv slash Comic Book Chronicles. Again, please hit like, subscribe, and hit the notification button so that you are notified of the times we are live and recording. And give, give us all the great reviews. Yeah. So uh, we're we're recording a, a day later than we normally than we normally do. Uh, the well, because I couldn't get to books. That, that's that's the short end of it. But right, and that's, uh, and and there's multiple factors involved here. You know, Roddy Cat had a, a very simple, straightforward one, but we're we'll we'll make sure to address another one in that uh, there was. A pretty, pretty impressive number of books out this week. Well, we'll get the, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have, um, yeah, we get, we got a good line on this. We're just gonna get right up into it. Starting off with, um, oh shoot, there we go. Gargoyles number one from Dynamite. Or wait, is that it? Is Dynamite right? Yes. Yes, yes okay. published by Dynamite. Yes. Da, 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 yes, the theme song, which is very catchy, is still running through my head since I read this book the other evening. Uh, a couple of evenings ago now. 
Gargoyles number one is published by Dynamite. is written by Greg Weissman, who is the uh, one of the original creators of the animated series and has helped uh, kind of shepherd this particular IP through many incarnations across different forms of uh, media. Uh, this issue is illustrated by George Cambadeus, and it's lettered by Jeff Eckleberry. So when I say, so it's interesting that the credit says that George Cambadeus uh, is the is listed as the illustrator uh, in other, you know, for other publishers it would be listed as art because it, it's presumed that this is mostly, if not completely digital, and it looks like it was both digitally rendered and digitally colored. So, and. Um, very quickly, this issue um, picks up essentially where the animated series left off. And for a lot of people, that could prove to be a stumbling point. And Weissman very astutely figures that is going to be the case with the vast majority of anyone that picks this book up. There's, there's probably going to be a very small minority of uh, readers that pick this book up that are familiar with this particular IP and say, yes, I've watched every episode. I remember exactly how it all went down and I remember exactly how that last episode left things. So <laughs> what Wiseman wisely does, you know, kind of a play on uh, words right there, uh, that what, 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 he, what, what he definitely, you know, it's, uh, it's an astute move. He catches everyone up with the various members of very kind of far-flung cast of gargoyles in basically a page worth of storytelling plus, you know, tons of exposition and also saying, this is the situation with this set of characters or this particular character. If you don't remember, it's okay. You know, like right. literally tongue-in-cheek and fourth wall breaking, like, it's okay. It was a lot to remember and process. And right. so I really appreciated that move. It made a ton of sense, you know, for someone who, like me, you know, uh, because I'm sure there's probably a bunch of people that, that, were, that were fans of, like, say, the first or second season and just sort of lost track of, you know, wherever the cartoon was playing, either in syndication or if it was on, like, a Disney uh, animated channel. Or like a or, or something like that. Uh, I don't. I don't have. I didn't have a chance to look up because I remember that the 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 broadcast rights for Gargoyles was a little convoluted. Became a little convoluted uh, later on in its um, television career. Right. So uh, I, I definitely recall that. I, uh, I we may have spoken about it over the uh, over the uh, the course of our show as other attempts at uh, restarting Gargoyles through comics have kind of come and gone. So this is probably one of the uh, uh, more successful attempts at trying to restart it. Uh, what do you think, Roddy? So, um, um, one, I don't have the familiarity with, I mean, I have a passing familiarity with the, with the Gargoyles. Like, I knew it was a thing, and I kind of knew the, 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 the premise of it. I never really watched that many episodes. I don't think I've watched probably one episode. And that might have been like the first one. So 
and I knew, you know, about some of the the, the voice cast that that uh, that was um, that was in it, and some of that might be familiar to some folks. So that's where it probably starts and ends for me. So I also was glad that the the, the the at the fact that they kind of gave you a little catch up throughout the throughout the story. Um, well, I guess the, technically the whole issue was kind of a, a catch up if, if you think about it, because it wasn't just the first page or the first couple of pages. It was like as the as they were kind of going through the things that like there was like oh this character and these characters and this was the thing and that was the thing, you know, kind of kept getting uh, introduced. During the um, during the issue, which I uh, also like uh, Agent Seventy, I appreciate it because, like I said, um, I hadn't really watched him in episodes. Actually, kind of makes me want I said I was going to watch some anyway because I know I I know a few people that's probably younger than I am uh, that watched the show, like love Gargoyles. Like you you go online and talk about Gargoyles, you can't you will find any number of folks <laughs> just just um, you know glowing about it. So I know those fans are out there, and I'm sure we know a, a, a few between us. Because um, '87 is probably a little bit closer to the age that was that was um, that was uh, big into it. So uh, yeah, that, I was about to say it's it's definitely something that it, that that skewed younger than myself. Right. But at the end of the day, I remember seeing it, and as Roddy Cat mentioned, the voice cast was familiar to me because there are a bunch of TNG people, and mm-hmm. Keith David, I, mm-hmm. I believe, is, right. plays uh, played Goliath. So I can't help but hear Keith David's voice <laughs> when I read Goliath's uh, dialogue in this book. Right. Uh, you know, everything, you know, there, there's a, you know, um, uh, the, the the word escapes me, but what was interesting about one of the storytelling choices that they made is that this reflects the time in which the last episode aired. So they're very um, uh, period-specific technological references right. made which... in this story. And if you are of a younger generation, that might be off-putting or even confusing to you because you'll try to figure out what is this little square thing that's going buzz 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 and what is the significance of that <laughs> yeah and and uh, as um as it was said yeah that's i believe that was intentional because it's supposed to take place you know after the series ended so it is this is a continuation of the series as a uh, weissman i believe has said um elsewhere or uh, I think we talked about it in passing also. By the way, I just want to bring up real quick, uh, Greg Weissman's name is probably known to you for other things outside of uh, Gargoyles, uh, notably Young Justice and Spectacular Spider-Man, which is, um, <laughs> right. which is Agent 70's. Uh, uh, you did say that was One your favorite. One of my personal Spider-Man. favorites. Yeah. One of personal favorites. Obviously, uh, you know, for, forgive us, folks. It's a, it's it's late. We're We're recording this on a Friday evening. It's been a long week. This, is, you know, the the, the uh, Weissman and company take the anachronistic nature of the story to a, uh, another level. You know, obviously, you know, cars have changed slightly. It's nice to see like a yellow checker cab here um, reflected like in the first opening splash page. But, you know, you know, we were referring to other uh, uh, technology, like very specific, period specific technology that are that would be anachronisms today. 
Mm-hmm. So hopefully that doesn't provide to be that doesn't prove to be a big stumbling block for anyone to enjoy this book because it's worth it. And I will tell you that this is a candidate for click of the week for me because I enjoyed uh, specifically what Weissman did in that we didn't have to be that familiar with how the entire animated series played out because it was, you know, as Roddy Cat said, an issue full of catching up with, you know, the, the, and establishing what the status quo of these characters currently is. Yep. So I suspect, obviously, you know, the uh, fans of Gargoyles will, who find out about this will probably check this out, especially, you know, knowing that it kind of takes up from the end of the, the end of the series um, and newer readers who, you know, happen to find themselves, um, kind of interested in what this was, or or is maybe I'm actually just looking forward to the Darkwing Duck, and I don't think that's Weissman, but still, like this is the other Disney property that is coming up next month. Um, in addition to checking out more of this book, maybe by that time, uh, I will probably have actually watched uh, some more episodes. Like I said, Knowing now what was in this book and, you know, what the stuff that they brought up, I was like, okay, I need to know <laughs> what happened, how the, how this stuff came about, you know? So I am kind of interested in going back to the, uh, to the show, which is out there on Disney plus. So, you know, it's not like it's not out there anywhere, um, uh, to, to, to check that out. So definitely good stuff. Definitely good stuff. Uh, I think we can move on, though. Yes. Yes, President Bartlett. What's next? Oh, shoot. I forgot to write this down. Oops, oops, oops. Um, uh, I don't know. Suggest another book while I'm writing this down, if you don't mind. Sure. My turn to take a look at Roddy Cat's list, because we both read a lot of books this week, because, as I mentioned earlier, there was uh, definitely an unnatural or atypical large drop of books this week from specifically Marvel Publishing. And we actually asked our uh, our fellow co-hosts in that who are, you know, obviously participating in absentia today uh, about this because it did seem uh, out of character uh, for a particular week to have so many releases from any one publisher and PCN underscore dirt confirmed that to us by basically saying in a nutshell that because a few books, more than a few books slipped out of the publishing schedule, fell behind on their publishing schedule and slipped into the following month, I pushed other months uh, in, you know, push books from the, the following month into the next month, so on and so forth, you know, obviously w- with uh, one domino causing more dominoes to fall. And uh, there is uh, some speculation that uh, on PCN underscore Dirt's part that there may have been a paper shortage issue, you know, that's obviously related to, you know, all of the supply chain issues that have bedeviled the, uh, the world economy throughout 2022, but ultimately Marvel is trying to catch up before the end of the year for accounting because anything that doesn't ship, that does not ship by the end of 2022, ends up slipping into the next quarter, the next fiscal quarter, and also gives Diamond some sort of monetary deal for the missed window. And despite the fact that Diamond is a sub-distributor now, they still have some contractual obligations, you know, uh, uh, as a fallback, 
in case Marvel is unable to deliver on you know whatever quotas are 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 are, are agreed to in the con in, in their distribution contracts. So that is one helpful bit of inside information uh, that PCN underscore Dirt is able to provide to us, and now we can provide that to you. So if you are suffering from sticker shock this week from having picked up your weekly books, then we understand, we sympathize, and we're giving you some reason for it. Your local store may not give it to you, but we here at the Comic Book Chronicles feel that you need to know. So you know, we're going to let you know, and um, I am going to choose what the next book would be. And how about we go with another book that... Um, it seems that we both read and other members of our panel read as well. Let's go with Fantastic Four number two. Oh, good, because I wrote that down anyway. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. So Fantastic Four number two is written by Ryan North with art by uh, Ivan or Iban Coelho, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by our favorite lettering Paisan, VCs Joe Caramagna. So we're continuing in the Fantastic Four relaunch. This issue, we are catching up with the the married couple that make up one half of the Fantastic Four. Uh, Two-fourths, I of course reduced that to one half. That uh, the those characters being Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards and uh, the Invisible Woman Sue Storm Richards, uh, we are left. We are still left trying to figure out what on earth Reed was responsible for. What happened to cause this apparent rift between the teammates? of the Fantastic Four and their extended family and, and, um, and uh, 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 supporting characters that uh, tend to occupy the Fantastic Four corner of the Marvel Universe and possibly other things that may affect the other, uh, that, that may prove to have uh, a, a bad effect on the Fantastic Four's, reputation and relationships in the Marvel universe. So we don't know what happened. You know, this is the same thing that um, we're, you know, that we've sort of criticized, that we've definitely criticized as being a, 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 a difficulty in getting into the current Zeb Wells, amazing Spider-Man run. And I hope, the creative team on Fantastic Four, is, you know, specifically Ryan North, uh, does not draw out what draw out what the you know draw out the mystery uh, of what happened here. But uh, getting back to this issue, this is focused upon the relationship between Reed and Sue as they. Um, kind of make an attempt to get away from it all. Similar to what Ben and Alicia did in the first issue of this relaunch. So we catch up with Reed and Sue looking to, you know, take a a much needed road trip vacation, or at least a mini vacation. And of course, being superheroes, they run into all sorts of superhero hijinks 
specifically tie, also tying into one of their long time uh one of their long time opponents uh you know as members of the Fantastic Four and even before being official members of the Fantastic Four and I'll let Roddy Cat pick it up from there yeah, I mean, there's not really much else to say except for it seems like we do kind of get a crumb of um, what might have happened. We don't necessarily, we still don't get what happened, but we do get a, a, a kind of a glimpse as to what happened as as to why the team is scattered. We it seems as um, they don't know where each other um, other are. Um, and I guess we will get into that once uh, once they get past these uh, these singular stories. Um, I, at least I hope so, because like like you just said, yeah, that the, we don't that whole Zeb Wells thing getting strung along, uh, of which we will be talking about again this week. Um, <laughs> um, is is kind of uh, off putting. Uh, but that being said, yeah, this is an interesting kind of a one and done with Sue narrating and. Um, uh, reading Sue kind of, uh, you know, as Agent Seventy said, kind of uh, dealing with uh, some some stuff from the from the past with uh, one of their adversaries, um, which have been used in a fact that you wouldn't think that this particular adversary. Well, I guess you adversary. We I, this person is known for subverting expectations on or certain counts, but also, you know, in other ways, like, no, you, this is what you're going to get. So the fact that uh, a revelation that happened in the course of this book was the case or in this issue was the case was kind of interesting, but not outside of Roman possibilities for this character, I would say, but still made for a pretty good story. And I thought anyway. Oh no, I thought it was excellent. What I would say is this, these first two issues prove that or or, or are, are prime examples of one that the Fantastic Four really is Marvel's first family. Mm-hmm. Two shows that they are they definitely do not all have to rely upon Reed to figure out what's happening and figure out a way out of whatever mess they find themselves in because they are all more than capable of figuring things out. Maybe not so much Johnny. We'll get to that in the next issue. Yeah, we'll see about that. (laughs) Right. But ultimately, especially with Ben and Alicia working together in their issue and with Reed and Sue working together in this issue, they are able to figure out some of the, uh, let's say... You know, um, underlying issues that, uh, you know, uh, some of the underlying causes, let's say even getting down to the root causes of the problems that they're dealing with. And there are some very, um, at least these first two issues so far, have had this particular thing in common in terms of um, the problems the FF are dealing with. It all has to deal with relationships. The first one had a relationship at its core proving to be the cause of the problem, you know, some sort of failed relationship. Whereas in this issue, we have a relationship that, as Roddy Cat uh, astutely pointed out, 
is a subversion of a particular expectation that we have of this long-term, long-time Fantastic Four adversary. Yet it's still, uh, you know, carried, you know, kind of carried into an unexpected direction as this relationship and how it's adapted and adopted by certain, by 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 a certain intelligence. I'm keeping it vague because I'm not trying to. Um, spoil it i definitely think it's worth reading how that's you know uh, you know uh expanded upon and explored by this uh by this intelligence it's very interesting to see how this relationship would evolve and mutate you know for you know uh, that's the best way to put it Mm -hmm. so Uh, it's you know it's it it seems like that seems that it seems like that is uh uh, you know, story point in these first two issues. It's about how certain relationships gone awry can, uh, you know, uh, can, you know, ultimately need to be fixed and addressed before uh, they, you know, uh, uh, the problems get too big. And maybe that is going to be, uh, you know, like a strong undercurrent for this opening arc uh, of Fantastic Four, because as we said, it seems like the FF, the underlying FF relationship between the four, you know, primary characters and that kind of uh, group of uh, uh, related characters is damaged because of something that happened off panel, off screen, uh, that happened before we catch up with our our favorite characters in the course of these issues. So hmm That just yeah. seems to be, you know, what the what the theme is, what the what the underlying story is so far. If you're watching the video version of the podcast and you can kinda of get an idea of what we talking what we're talking about with relation to who is involved. Uh so there is that. Um the only thing I was gonna say after uh, uh was that um I kind of wondered, uh, now that you've mentioned the relationship aspect uh, of the last couple of issues, I kind of wonder if there is something else going on. Well, actually, I was kind of wondering well before that anyway, because it's, granted, for certain purposes, they have to get into something. But it's curious that the last couple of issues have had two separate parties um, going into two separate towns (laughs) <laughs> just so happened to uh, find some issue there. Now, the first one I can understand this, this, this one here was like, Hmm, I kind of wonder if something else is going on, but this could be just me, you know, just, it's just, it could be speculation on my, on my, I mean, it's just me just thinking out. Uh, and it could be just like, no, nah, it's just a story. Just, just how the story was presented. And there's nothing else within the story. That's, uh, that's causing this to happen. But right. We don't know yet. Right. right. What we don't know yet, too, is almost like as children of the 80s, we sort of know this is like a trope where, you know, the episode of the week for the A-team was they're in a new town. You know, right. they've been hired by a certain group and they need help. And this right. is their particular situation that the A-team is now uh, tasked with solving. Right. But we've also been reading comic books long enough to under- to know that. And granted, sometimes it, they present itself a little bit more than that than these two are. That sometimes there's an underlying reason as to why things happen the way they do. Right, like a big picture. Yeah, something that's operating, you know, well 
uh, you know, under a lot of camouflage. Right. So, not saying that this is good, but it kind of feels that way. Partially, partly feels that way to me. But like I said, it could be as um, the seventy uh, location of the week type stuff. Right. Anyway, uh, we can move on uh, to another about, book. I was going to make a suggestion. Okay, sure. Uh, since we have so many books to cover this week, let's cover the Spider-Man section, unless you want to get to something X-related. Uh, no, we'll actually, I was, I was, because we have three Spider-Man books, and they're all covering different aspects of the Spider-Man corner of the Marvel Universe. No, actually, you're, no, I was, I, was, I was there with you, actually. So, yeah, let's do it. So, which one do you want to start with, Spider-Man number three or Miles? Because Dark Web is related to X-Men, so that will help us transition into Rapid Fire, maybe get into some X-Books. So, let's do Miles, because I feel like there's a a progression. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number one, is the latest relaunch of the solo title for Miles Morales, the former Ultimate Spider-Man. This issue is written by Cody Ziegler with art by Federico. There's a typo in my uh, in my credits. Federico Vicentini. Colors, colors are by Brian Valenza. And letters are by VC's Corey Petit. I will say that Cody Ziegler brings some more modern lingo, dialogue, slang to Miles's lexicon and the lexicon of his of the characters that uh, are in this book. It it was noticeable. I kind of bumped on it just a touch. I don't know about yourself, Roddy Cat. I mean, I noticed it, yeah, but also I kind of, like, no, nah, that's kind of his, his thing, particularly with this character, as we've seen, so. Oh, you mean Ziggler's thing? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we are introduced to a new potential antagonist, and it's a, you know, one of the dead giveaways is that this particular person seems to be wearing some advanced tech, despite uh, walking through the streets of presumably Brooklyn with, you know, just regular clothes on, you know, regular, you know, just on their way with a jacket, hoodie. But there is a piece of advanced technology on this person's wrist that um, is not exactly a smartwatch. So that is a a clear sign that this character is more than what she seems to be. And of course, um, uh, one Mac, I think it's Mac Gargan, Scorpion uh, shows up and is the punching bag of the week for Miles to uh, take down, uh, you know, and kind of set the stage for this uh, opening story arc. What do you think, Rycat? Yeah, um, I know there was possibly some slight trepidation uh, with uh, Ziegler coming onto this book. but um I'm so far it's starting out um it's starting out interesting. Like yeah, the the whole the, the lingo thing aside I was like because I didn't have I didn't really bump on too much. I just you know, was like, hey, that's just And I think Cody Sickles is actually kinda young himself. 
Uh, I, yes, I yes. So. That's why I, you know what, you, 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 you definitely, because uh, you know, obviously that is a reflection of our, uh, of the age gap. Right. So, of course. Oh, yeah, I'm a bit too old for this shit. <laughs> you know? Right. So it's it, it's it's interesting that like this is just the stuff I notice when I'm on the subway. Right. You know when I'm commuting, say like the rare times I'm in between podcasts and I can overhear things because I am fortunate enough I do have the privilege as a as, as an as, as a as a dude as a man in New York City that I can afford to actually walk around with headphones on and not be threatened. You know it's not a it's not a privilege that uh, women share you know uh you know they're taught to not have like their music blasting so that they know what's happening around them or to have like their um their their earbuds or headphones like you know covering their ears completely you know it's advisable that they you know keep are, are, are that they keep uh some level of awareness with their sense of hearing i have the you know i i, I do enjoy the the particular privilege of being uh, a man walking the streets of New York. Uh, I, I'm usually blasting music, but I'm still obviously aware of my surroundings. But um, I tend to not hear a lot of the slang. You know, I don't have very many like young uh, family and friends that are of this particular like cohort, this particular age group that Miles is in is almost going to be perpetually in. Um, so I don't necessarily hear the slang that he would be using. So uh, it's just a little jarring, but I do hear it once in a while. You know, you walk into a store or something and you're waiting on a line and you overhear it. So that's why, you know, it, I bump on it because I notice that I, I, that's when I that's when I feel like I'm getting a little too old for this shit. But at the same time, as Roddy Cat said, Ziggler is on the young side. So it makes sense that he would be uh forgive the antiquated term more hip to it indeed uh that being said though um is it an is it an, an intriguing first issue i also caught that uh the the young lady who we get kind of introduced to is wearing the tech and i was like wait <laughs> what's going on here as um but I also, I think the thing that I slightly kind of bumped on, and this may or may not, well, it's probably been said before, actually, um, but as to what type of story we are going to get into, uh, which all I will say is it's, you know, basically Miles got a lot on him and he's starting to feel it uh, type of a situation. And, um, you know, which is kind of a thing we've seen in, in books before, with characters before. In fact, I feel like we've seen it with... With Miles. With Miles recently, yes. Uh, and in just in general. So, you know, it is still going to be a wait and see as to how this goes, but at the same time, like, yeah, we kind of... Well, this is only going off of the first issue, so like I said, I'm not trying to give it a, 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 you know, a full judgment on it, you know, until we know a little bit more about where this is going. But right. we've to the, at this point we have seen a story uh, where this potentially goes, where this potentially could go. I guess I should say. But, right, um, and and obviously you know it, this is uh, reflective of uh, one point I made earlier, which is we'll see how long it takes Marvel to slowly age Miles up. 
Hmm. Because he, he may be at Brooklyn Visions Academy for a long time. And, you know, yeah, we might get this particular uh, storyline, this particular character development arc kind of remixed and rehashed over several years until they decide to graduate him from Brooklyn Visions Academy. You know, much like with Peter Parker, much like with any other kind of teenaged hero. So, so we will see how this plays out. I wanted to make mention of the fact that Miles is back to his OG costume. Yes, I was going to mention that. So if anyone like me and possibly Roddy Cat was not a fan of the, um, the hoodie costume or, or the, the drawstring costume, as it were, with the, uh, uh, you know, you know, design at the end of uh, Saladin Ahmed's run. Um, guess what? Your uh, costume-related prayers have been answered at least for Miles. Yeah, like I said, it was a, it was it was a good run for it, and I wasn't you know it just yeah I, I had I think it has been well told on and on the uh, on the on past shows we don't need to go to but yeah definitely I had some issues with that last suit uh, and I'm kind of glad to see him back in the in the his or uh, his class his quote unquote classic suit. You know, at least for Miles, because, you know, <laughs> this is the only other suit he's had outside of uh, animated versions. So. Right. Um, right, right, right. All right, so if we're done with that, I will move on to uh, Spider-Man number three. And I will let Roddy Cat lead, all, uh, lead with this once I take care of naming the creative team, which is... This book is written by Dan Slott! With pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by our favorite lettering Python, VCs Joe Caramagna. And I will tell you that this is probably going to be a potential click of the week for me, simply on the basis that it felt nice to be, it was nice to uh, kind of return to a familiar setting. Namely, the expanded Spider-Verse. And I'll let Roddy Cat take it from there. So, yeah, this is the uh, end of the Spider-Verse uh, arc that uh, Slot has been, um, well, I don't know, building up to. But basically, this is this is why Slot's back on the books. Is so he can, so he could uh, partially, well, one of the reasons why he, so he could end the Spider-Verse. Uh, and this is in the middle of that, which I'm not sure how long this is going to go. I can't remember if it's just this arc or the 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 potential run of this book, but I believe it's just this arc. Regardless, um they're kinda in the thick of it and um I guess speaking of Miles, Miles kind of uh kicks the ball off running because of uh a, a certain thing that happens to that happens to certain uh, spiders, thanks to the enemy, has happened to Miles. But the difference is apparently, and I'm glad they they kind of mentioned this. Which uh, when when the thing happened last issue, I was like, wait. They made this expl- explanation as to why certain folks can't get infected by um, uh, what the 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 the, um, uh, the 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 bad guys are doing, and. And it took me till the end of that book to realize, oh, right, this is why. And they bring that up here in the beginning of this issue. And I'm sure they did that because there's some people, young, newer folks who 
while the event that has happened in is not that old, may not remember the fact that Miles comes from another universe. Right. And as this book says, he's of two universes, thanks to what happened in, during uh, Secret Wars. And I, it, I had to chuckle because, it was like, the, the explanation of it was just, just kind of short and brief. It was like, and it had me thinking, like, well, that was a, you know, like, yes, that's what happened. But also, that was a, like a couple of months old Hamburg. Like, I still remember that part. <laughs> so that exactly. was funny to me. I was like, yeah, but that was like at least a couple of weeks old or a month old Hamburg. So I don't know, still, like, like that whole thing. Like this brought me back there, but regardless, it kind of kicks off some things because uh, because of what happened to Miles, you know, he's he's kind of become a um, a slight liability, but they ended up trying to use it to their advantage, and then that just kind of kicks off some other things coming. Basically, um, the thing you don't do in D and D, they split the party <laughs> right in a in a few different ways, but of course. If I'm not mistaken, this is kind of how Spider Verse uh, and or probably Spider Gate and kind of the happened. They like split off into different uh, different groups to to, to uh, do different do different things. Exactly. One to explore some of the newer characters, and two just give certain characters room to shine. Right. So herein is basically, even though there was a whole big plan that is not going the way it was supposed to. And uh, this, and this, um, uh, but I guess obviously that's intentional because it's going to get back on track at, at some point, or at least happens still at some time. But regardless, we see folks kind of going different ways, and I think I'm not sure if that uh, the thing with Miles and the other and Spider Craven. I don't know if there's a book for that, or that, is that going to be in like uh, his book? Because I know this is not like a Spider Spider Verse event type thing. Because the dark web is already going on, so I know they weren't going to do like two events in you know in itself. This is just basically just happening in this book, right? So, um, so I'm assuming that's just going to have all of that's going to happen in the basis of this book. So yeah, so we see the the the, the folks splintering off the, the, to go to do their things, and um, let's just say, and the end of the book, something I was the end of this issue, something I wasn't expecting happened. It's um, a nice cliffhanger. It very much is, but also is kind of curious because I, I have in my notes, and this is giving it away, but not giving it away. But basically, I'm hoping this doesn't come back to Ben Riley. <laughs> that's what that's what that ending made me think about. I'm like, don't don't go back there, please don't do that. Even though we know, and we're about to talk about that in a minute, um, where you know what's going on with Ben Riley. But I'm hoping that's not where where this is leading to. Right. So I will say that my own personal spider sense, right? Obviously, very apropos when talking about this book. My own personal personal spider sense was tingling in that, uh, you know, it very much along the same line, due to many of the same uh, uh, factors along the same lines that I was just talking about, which is uh, they need to give newer characters and other characters other spider related characters that they're you know that they just introduced or have more recently introduced room to shine and so taking off some of the more established long standing characters taking them off the board is you know serves multiple purposes for story for story, for the, for telling the story right which I'm glad you brought that up because that kind of comes up a couple of times in the course of this issue and I guess at the end of it 
kind of answers a question that I had, uh, but with another character that they had taken off the board um, previously. Now that they've taken this, uh, this other character off the board, clearly there's going to be a way to reverse that, which they did kind of mention in this in, the, in this issue, because there's no way in the world they were just going to just wipe this character all out like that. So. Exactly. We ain't going out like that. We ain't going out. <laughs> Shout out to Cypress Hill. Be exactly. real and send dog. So it's just a matter of them, you know, weaving that in, I guess, weaving that back into play, I guess. Um, but of course, in true in true fashion, uh, shout out to Yoda. There is another um, that apparently we will see next uh, next issue or something going on. And there's always a way out. So we may have already seen it, knowing slot, but we just but it wasn't really much attention to it um, given. So, but we'll see if that's the case. But I'm enjoying it still so far, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm actually, I, I understand what Agent Seventy is saying because it makes sense with what they did with Spider Gittin, because I believe that was more Miles' focus, if I'm not mistaken. Like he right. was pretty much the front runner on that one, so it, it makes sense uh, here. And I guess we know who. I assume we know who he's given the, the front running to in this one, given by who gets put in charge. Yes. You know, so I'm very much looking to see how that how that goes down. Uh, that being, being said, we can go and kick on to the last spider book, though. Yes, and that would be Dark Web number one. So this is the first issue of this. Uh, uh, wait, is, is this a one shot Dark Web? No, because there is a. I think it's a one shot in the cell, but there is another one at the end of the um, at the end of the, the event. There's because I think this is called dark or dark web dusk from what I saw, and then there's a dark red dawn at the end of the event. Got it, got it. So it's essentially an alpha and omega, just right. retitled, right. you know, just so that we don't run into the alpha and omega thing again. Right. So um, I did not look at. It must have been on the title page because I did not see that subtitle. I, no, uh, I didn't see it either, actually, until on, it's got on the, the checklist. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So. Oh no! It is on the. It's on the credits page. Dark is Web it? Dusk. Oh okay. I just. I, that, that, it, you made me curious. I'm like. I'm <clears> sure it's there. It's just something that we gloss over because we just read a lot of comics, folks. Mm. It's not just an excuse. Trust me, that it is not just an excuse. That is a literal fact. So Dark Web number one, Dusk, or Dark Web Dusk number one, is written by Zeb Wells with art by Adam Kubert, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by our favorite lettering Paisan, VC's Joe Caramagna. So we've gotten in the recent pages of, interestingly, not the main X-Books, but New Mutants, and uh, in the pages of recent issues of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, the precursor, you know, the, the setup for why two uh, characters that have something very integral to their characters in common would come together. And we've seen the setup. It's been teased, you know, in free comic book day stuff. And we've seen how their storylines have... Uh, progress to bring them together. And now this is the event 
that harkens back to with obvious shades of the Inferno event, which is one clearly re- referenced in this issue as uh, uh, as characters are saying are, are, you know, I believe it was a news report that said, hey, anyone that remembers Inferno right. recognizes some of what's happening. Right. And some of the characters in here uh, in this issue, uh, specifically X characters, but also some spider characters are like, wait, I kind of remember something similar like this happening a while back. Mm-hmm. And it was very Inferno-esque. So... Um, Ultimately, uh, this you know this, this kind of sets the stage for how these two uh, big sets of characters—the Spider-Man corner of the of the uh, Marvel Universe and the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe—collide again. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Again is, is is one way to put it. We have one of the surprising. Uh, character appearances that I that 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 was uh, uh, kind of a shock to me was one uh, you know mild spoiler here. I will say that he is the uh, second wielder of the Clintar symbiote that we were first introduced to back in Secret Wars number eight. So you, I'm not going to completely spoil it, but if you are at all familiar with symbiotes in the Marvel Universe, I clearly just spoiled who that might be. And you know what? I'm glad you said that because actually I I didn't get confused, but I I conflated the, the two wielders. And mm-hmm. But I did remember that this particular one has a connection that is still roaming, running around with another symbiote also. So, right. Because I was thinking, it was like, well, wait, is this the same person that's, this is the same one that's running around with a, uh, a group of not necessarily Avengers? And no, that's not, because I think that's Flash Thompson. So, um, uh, which, wow, totally forgot about that mess. Um, mm-hmm. But nevertheless, um, so yeah, this is, this is the, the, I guess the, the official beginning of this whole dark world thing. And I still have my, my issues with the, um, the reasonings as to why at least one of these folks are involved, especially when they're saying like someone, they even mentioned, like I mentioned, uh, going into this, they're going to know this person is involved with this. So what's it the has point? Clear, a clear set of fingerprints, like right. a clear set of, um, what, uh, what anyone would call um, uh, signs of um, involvement, right? And it's like, okay, so so what's the point if if you know? Because they said this person said so like can't get I can't get personally involved. I'm like, but they're going to know you're still involved. So and they're going to want questions. And she's basically like almost saying, let them come. Because so like, yeah, the story's going to write itself at the end. The end. So I was like, okay, we'll see how this plays out. I do like the fact that uh, on one part of this, it, it's the X-Men at Christmas. And they end mm. up at Rockefeller Center again. <laughs> Which, if you think about a, a, a certain pivotal moment in, in at least one character's, ex-character's life, uh, there was a change. But um, but I know this has also been something that they've revisited, you know, uh, a, a few times, a couple of times in the past at the very least. Uh, and on the other side of this, uh, it seems that Peter and friends are getting together uh, for a 
a sad character's birthday party who was no longer uh, around, which starts this off. And I totally forgot that that character, when we last saw them, was a clone. Exactly. I kind of forgot that as well. I was like, oh, yeah, right. when I read that. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. This is, they always keep coming back up. So, as you can see, that's therein lies kind of the heart of um, this uh, this event in a, in a way that you would have to read more about if you haven't been keeping up with uh, Spider-Man. Right. And what's interesting is that I would say that if you are a fan of, I think, more so of the current run of Spider-Man, this is more required reading for you. Because Wells, obviously, as the writer of the current ama- current volume of Amazing Spider-Man, is also the writer on this issue and the lead creative on this crossover, apparently, or one of the lead creators on this crossover. Right. Um, there's a lot of character and storyline development in the in the uh, in the Spider-Man corner that really will impact what's happening in the pages of Amazing that develops on and expands upon and will have you know future ramifications on uh, events that are going to be portrayed in Amazing Spider-Man. They happen here, so this isn't just a, a, a quote-unquote throwaway tie-in. This is definitely integral to understanding what is going to be happening in Amazing Spider-Man going forward. We'll see how this plays into the X corner of the uh, Marvel Universe going forward because, uh, you know, just based on the tie-ins, you know, the, there's a, list, a checklist in the back, and it does mention... Uh, certain books that are having these uh, uh, one-shots that may or may not tie into other corners of um, the Marvel Universe more so than not, but it definitely seems to focus a lot on the Spider-Man corner. You right. know, not you know the, the X-Men. The X-Men corner are, is basically covered in these one-shots, so we'll see if it comes back in the pages of New Mutants eventually, but but more likely we're really going to see this uh see the ripple effects come for you know uh uh, uh you know um, uh, have their effects shown in the pages of uh amazing we're going to see that uh uh Norman Osborn's new character or new version mm-hmm. uh is going to have a a small limited series run coming out of this and that's going to be part of the crossover as well as that aforementioned character that I could spoil now because technically it's in the solicitations, but if you're not up on solicitations, I won't spoil it. You should just right. read the issue. Right. So it's a curious, I, I don't know. I think it, I think you, you're probably right in where it'll probably affect the Spidey's corner a little bit more than X Corner, but since part of this did actually come out in the in the X Corner, I think at the very least it'll probably get addressed um, at the end of this, depending on how things way the uh, way things go. Right, at the very least in the pages of New Mutants, right. which is where uh, this particular character came. You know, the, the 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 status of this particular character changed right. in order to make this crossover happen. Right. So we'll see. 
Um, we're we're here for right now. I, it's kind of funny that with the one part that kind of reminded me of in the in the God of the Vida, baby. And it kind of basically when uh, I think it was an earlier version, uh, early Simpsons episode where Bart went to the church. Well, Bart was in church and switched the lyrics, and everybody was singing. Right. Kind of reminded me of that for some dumb reason, but you know. Um, yes, with the organ playing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that part was kind of funny, but yeah, the rest of it was kind of amusing, especially like the the X Men in in Rockefeller part, and or at least being the the X Men in the Christmas scene again. You know, yeah, not which, I was about to say. Now you're going to make me open up my uh, review copy again to make sure, because um, I don't remember them being around Rockefeller Center. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, the fight uh, ends mm-hmm. up, basically. What's that? That's I think I'm I'm pretty sure that's where the fight ends up. Yeah, I just want I, I just want to double check. Now you make yeah. me want to take a look because I'd already I'd already minimized it. So I'm like, ah, right. let me see. Let me see. As the resident New Yorker, but Cubert Adam Cubert is also a resident New Yorker. So mm-hmm. I you know I, I I would have to uh, figure that he would portray it more accurately than someone you know not based in New York City. So I'm just going to quickly flip through this and see if I can't confirm for our listening and viewing audience. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's strongly implied that it's in the Midtown Rockefeller Center area. Mm-hmm. Strongly implied. I don't know if I, I'm still flipping through this to see if they have uh, an image of like the uh, the ice skating rink and yeah. the Christmas tree at Rockefeller. Well, but, maybe that, um, oh yeah, they do. But, they do. Yeah. There's an overhead shot. You're right. Right. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. You're so. right. Yeah. So left the trees in the right. Yeah. To, yeah, I was about to say, uh, go ahead and I'll make the uh, the, the snobby new, uh, native New Yorker point I was going to make. Oh, go for it. Oh no, because you know what I was going to say is most native New Yorkers tend to stay away when the tourist hordes descend <laughs> on Rockefeller Center. You know, but we generally cannot avoid the temptation of passing by there like on an off hour, like either early in the morning if you're on your way to work, if you happen to work near there, mm-hmm. or if it's like late at night and like the crowds have died down. And you just sort of take a picture because, you know, New York at Christmas time really is one of the best uh things about being in New York uh as a as a New Yorker. So I, um, of, I, I usually make my that. way there as you know, as I said, when the crowds are a little lighter. Right. I think they, they there was a there was a, a conversation in the book that kind of mentioned about um, not necessarily about the tourists, but basically, you know, it's like, yeah, it was something along those lines. But basically that, that was in a in a um, before things start popping off. There was a that, that uh, conversation funny. So it's funny that you said that. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, we can push on to uh, the, the rapid fires. Yeah. And and what I'm going to do <clears throat> is start rapid fire start our rapid fire segment but then start off with the remaining two xbox so that we cover that corner of the marvel universe and get into the rest of our rapid fire books so here we go blaine aka jesse the body ventura i ain't got time to breathe helps introduce our rapid fire segment first up in rapid fire is immortal x-men number nine it's written by kieran gillen with art by lucas vernick uh oh man i must have been tired when i was typing this because i see typo right there in this gentleman's name vernick 
Colors are by David Curiel, and letters are by VCs Clayton Cowell. So again, uh, in the pages of Immortal X-Men, this is focused upon the inner workings of the um, uh, 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 of the circle of you know kind of major players on Krakoa. You know the um, uh, I'm blanking on it. Uh, what are they called? That's not the inner circle. It's the Quiet the, um, Council. The Quiet Council. Council. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long week, folks. So uh, you know, we read a lot of books. So you know, uh, you know, I apologize for re- 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 uh, forgetting uh, a concept that was introduced years ago now in Hawksbox. So uh, this this issue focuses upon uh, members of the Quiet Council dealing with uh, increasing attempts by Sinister to take out members of the Quiet Council on a repeated basis by also abusing um, the powers of one of the current X-Men antagonists, one of the key characters behind the Hawks Pox storyline to begin with. And using that particular power to make possible multiple attempts at taking out members of the Quiet Council. Anything to add? Yeah, I was curious as to how, and I guess I shouldn't ask this given who it is, but I wondered how in the world they got their hands on this person or part of this person to to get this stuff. But it is who it is, so I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibilities, you can figure that out. <laughs> but I didn't know if, right. that, if that happened right. in something. Exactly. What I was going to say, it's, it's, it's been established that it happened. It's not, uh, you know, it's not, it's not exactly outside of the nature of this character. Right. You know, it's exactly in the nature of this character, which is why uh, we just sort of accept that, yeah, this is probably, you know, something that would have happened regardless of where they decide to take the story. Right. But obviously, they're looking to really accentuate this character and put this character, um, you know, uh, on, on his front foot and make him front facing for the sins of sinister upcoming storyline. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up is X-Men red number nine. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli colors by Federico Blee and letters by VCs Ariana Marr. Uh, give me a moment to pull this book up. Here we go. So, uh, the intergalactic machinations continue in this issue. But firstly, we deal with the uh, Krakoan resurrection of one Gabriel Summers and how this particular flashback leads us to how this character is currently being portrayed. Because it's interesting that this character wasn't technically remade into a a toned down version of himself and we find out we we find out in this issue why that happened. We're also in this issue kind of treated to a crash course in this character and it's not really a spoiler if you've been keeping up with this into Vulcan's 
history uh, during War of Kings, you know, during that whole uh, uh, spacefaring crossover story. So, you know, that's a that's a big um, aspect of the story that uh, Al Ewing does a good job of getting everyone refreshed on and, you know, caught up to speed. I will say that. Um, oh, my goodness. Why am I blanking on um, this character's code name? The the one that's like Gateway. Help me out here. Manifold. Manifold. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Manifold is off on his own, but he is um, dealing with, uh, you know, some, some complications. It's always interesting that uh, some characters are favorites of this current crop of creators to evolve into very different directions, but still stay on brand. This character that I'm referring to is one Roberto da Costa, right? This has been something that has been happening since, you know, the earliest days of, uh, of his, um, uh, of his story being told in the pages of new mutants. And we saw a lot of it happening in the pages of both the Hickman run of Avengers and the most recent new mutants run or the previous New Mutants run, in which Roberto da Costa uh, uh, played a, a, a role, and now with X Men Red, they are expanding his. You know, they, they're they're continuing to explore this uh, direction with the character. I'm amused that you said um, <clears throat> brand because. Yes, because that Brand, part of the story is still continuing. Mm-hmm, because Abigail Brand is still front and center in this uh, in this story, um, as I said. Um, there was something else I was going to mention uh, about this one, but I can't remember what it is. But I also forgot to mention about um, Immortal, and that Immortal answered a question that I had asked you about last week, in that um, whether Mystique and De- uh, Destiny got... got, uh, got um, resurrected apparently they did in order for what happened to happen which is still kind of curious to me um but yeah vulcan was kind of on a rampage on, on this one but i am looking forward to the uh the upcoming rematch next uh next issue with a certain character that uh kind of took him out <laughs> kind of took him down uh, a little so and all this is kind of like, well, there's the, the reason why Vulcan even come back into play is because there's basically uh, a hole where Magneto left because of his passing. So they had to kind of deal with it. And this is basically the last option, uh, much to the chagrin, because, yeah, things happened. That's all. Exactly. Judgment Day, folks. Judgment yep. Day. Yep. All right. So uh, getting back to rapid fire, I'm going to get to some books that I know that Roddy Cat did not read uh, himself. First, Batman number 130. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Tomo Mori, and letters by uh, Clayton Cowell. So Failsafe continues to act as a failsafe for Batman and continues to be a thorn in the sides of both Batman, the Tim Drake Robin, and one Kyle L., the uh, uh, 
former and probably soon to be main Superman in the DC universe. The cliffhanger at the end of this issue, I believe, was spoiled by news, by comic book news outlets. And uh, it is definitely a fake out. Trust me, folks. It's a fake out because there is a Batman number 131 solicited and ready to roll. And if I'm not mistaken, Zdarsky um, on social media definitely trolled some people who were looking into these uh, reports of what happens at the end of Batman number 130. Do you have anything to add? Is there anything in the news on that? Um, I don't believe so. No. Okay. Actually, now you got me looking. While you go ahead, while you go on, I'll look. No problem. Next up is Batman and the Joker, the Deadly Duo, number two of seven. So this is a seven-issue limited series. The story and art are by Mark Silvestri. Colors by Arif Prianto, and letters are by Troy Pateri. So this is a, a, a black label book in which. Uh, Mark Silvestri is doing an out-of-continuity story, for the most part, that has Batman and the Joker team up to save, and this is probably the only spoiler I'll give, to save both Jim Gordon and Harley Quinn, who have been uh, abducted, and uh, Batman and the Joker are forced to work together. You know, they're forced to put their differences aside for the sake of saving the people that are among the most special to them. And so we, uh, you know, are still going to have quite a bit of storytelling left in this to figure out who is behind all of it. There are elements of both super science and the supernatural involved in this story. It is uh, just nice to see Silvestri, uh, you know, really putting his pencil work uh, out there and really, you know, showing us what he was always renowned for, which is, you know, cool uh, designs with, you know, some uh, serious line work, lots of cross-hatching, a ton of cross-hatching. I think my one criticism is that because he's responsible for the artwork here, he's also responsible for the inks. You know, he's a, I believe he's still doing traditional pencils and inks. So um, I think that he would benefit on this book from having a traditional inker who would be spotting the blacks and helping to create more shadow and definition for the book, possibly muddying uh, Silvestri's pencils, but at the same time, really helping to create like solid areas of shadow and light. So maybe uh, at the end of this series, you know, that might be that might end up being the one like major criticism of the art uh, in that Silvestri is here doing the bulk of the art chores. And maybe he would have benefited from having a solid inker on this, like Dan Green, who inked him on Uncanny X-Men for many, many years, uh, you know, back in the day. Next up is Avengers number 63. With It's written by Jason Aaron with art by Javier Garon, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. So this is the second um, part of this. I believe it's a four-part uh, Avengers, you know, uh, I believe it's a four-part Avengers Assemble story that will lead to the conclusion of Jason Aaron's run on uh, Avengers and, you know, this is the beginning of the big, you know, Act 3 battle. And 
you know, we have lots of, uh, you know, little callbacks to different parts of this long Avengers run now that are kind of um, uh, sprinkled into this big battle. Like, oh, remember this? We're bringing it back and it's going to make sense now why we did this, you know, 40 issues ago. And so that is definitely a part of the experience of reading this issue. Uh, we have lots of um, different uh, remixed. Now, tell me, now do me a favor. I know that in the X-Men corner, they call them circuits, you know, in the, you know, in the, especially post uh, Hawks Pox. I remember they might have um, a, 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 a term for this teamwork related thing that kind of came up in like Marvel's Ultimate Alliance. Right, the video game mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. put two characters' powers together to set up a move. Right. They 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 even showcase that in the big tracking shot in the first Avengers movie when they have a Cap bouncing a repulsor beam from Iron Man off the off a shield so that he they can take out in conjunction with each other a group of Chitauri uh, opponents. Is is there still? I remember there being a term for that. Would you remember what that is? And unfortunately, I do not, because the closest thing I can think of is team up, and I know that's not it. But right, but, but I you know, what, know I, what you're talking about, yes. Right, because in the X Men, they call them, if I'm not uh, uh, mistaken, like the mutant circuit, circuit. which mm-hmm. is the whole concept. Right, the whole concept of the five, like these five mutants working together to help put put into effect the resurrection protocols. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, team ups. In this issue, so ultimately, um, we have the return of one of the uh, one million BC Avengers characters that had kind of taken a brief, um, a brief step off stage. So we are nearing the end of uh, Jason Aaron's story, but um, we are. Just two chapters away, the next chapter of the story is going to be in Avengers Forever number 12. And the last one is going to be in Avengers, actually the next to last one, I think, because I think it is, I think there's an Avengers 64, there's a part four, and I think there might be a closing book, but it's not clear from this, and I don't remember if there is. So let's just say that this is all going to end in the pages of Avengers number 64. Next up is Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number seven. Did you read this? Yes. All right. It's written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, former guests of the Combo Chronicles, with art by Carmen Carnero, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, our favorite lettering Python. So this is Captain America Steve Rogers version, the Steve Rogers flavor of Captain America, getting a particular band back together, that being the um, the the, um, the espionage uh uh, group of the uh, Marvel Universe that Captain America tends to, you know, that's the circle of characters that he tends to travel in. The first, though, character that we run into, um, that Steve Rogers runs into, after his, you know, while he is convalescing, while he's recuperating from his battle with the uh, a Bucky who has now become part of the Outer Circle, is one Namor, a.k.a. Namor, a.k.a. Uh, Kukulkan, 
and we get the uh, input from Namor on uh, Captain America's current issues with the direction that Bucky has taken. And it's always interesting to see how different writers treat Namor's relationship with uh, Steve Rogers, who generally is that one character who can communicate with Namor other than Sue Richards on like a really human level. So it's always interesting to see how a, uh, a, a group of writers in this case, but a creative team decides to address that. And, you know, as I said, um, it was teased by, oh, it's the new revolution. That's Bucky's new identity. Right. And uh, he teased at the end of the previous issue that we would see the return of a character. And we do. And as I said, we get the, uh, the espionage corner of the Marvel Universe uh, showing up in full force to help out Steve Rogers. And things do not go as planned because that is the cliffhanger we're left with. Anything to add? So two things. Yes, you're right about the espionage crew. Some would say if this was the MCU, this would be the S.H.I.E.L.D. crew mostly because mostly everyone uh, within, with the exception – was a part of Shield and MCU, um, and right. actually in in um, in here, I guess in which is what makes certain. them the espionage corner right. of the Marvel universe. Exactly, and I'm saying that because of, for another reason, because one of them, um, the lovable goof that he is, can't help but uh, bring up his uh, his current affiliation. Yes, uh, for 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 one reason, but the other reason is because there is an actual MCU reference in the course of this issue. Um, which I found kind of amusing. So, Agent Seventy is a little bit more familiar with the, in the the previous runs of Cap than I am, um, especially with what uh, happens with one or two characters. Because I I got to a certain part and I was like, wait, I did not know she knew that they that they knew that the other was still alive or was alive again because they were like, Hey, Hey, you look, I haven't seen you in a minute you look great. You know, I'm like, wait, when did this happen? And I'm assuming this happened in in a, in a former volume. Yes. The coach volume. Yeah. The whole daughters of Liberty thing. Okay. So that, so they, okay. Cause I was wondering, I was like, wait, how did she know? And I figured that was, it was the case. I was like, well, how did she even know she was like, cause I figured they didn't, you know, maybe that, but I guess it makes sense. It also makes sense. She's like, well, the family, it, of course she wouldn't just left her out there like that. Unlike, mm-hmm. Unlike another family, uh, quote unquote, family uh, thing that uh, was mentioned here, that um, that uh, a couple of folks that still don't know about, but uh, the aforementioned Bucky does. But mm-hmm. um, but that being said, yeah, the whole the uh, the other MCU uh, reference is the, the only thing I really the other thing I wanted to bring up in this because I thought that was amusing that they put that in here. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So next up for me is Daredevil number six. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Rafael De La Torre. Oh, my goodness. I must have been tired. I, I'm spotting typos in the creator's names in my notes. Colors by Matthew Wilson and letters by VCs Clayton Cowell. So um, we are hastening towards the, uh, of, uh, to the, uh, towards the eventual collision between Frank Castle, the current um, – uh, uh, which one called the current uh, 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 leader of the hand and Daredevil and Elektra, the current leaders, co-leaders of the fist. 
And we have a bunch of developments in this story that help us um, get to that point. Uh, we have uh, some background as to what Daredevil's and Elektra's true intentions are with the, you know, like expanding upon the events of the previous issue. And, uh, you know, we get the uh, guest appearance by some uh, heroes who think that Daredevil and Elektra are going down the wrong path. And, of course, we have the teased um, uh, confrontation at the end on the cliffhanger page at the end of the issue with one Frank Castle. Now, I want to note that Punisher number eight came out this week. And because there's so many books this week, I never got to read it. So I don't know if Punisher number eight uh, continues this story or leads to, um, you know, more of the confrontation that's going to happen in the pages of Daredevil. So I don't know for sure. So um, I'm going to leave it at that. I'll, I'll just let everyone uh, know that Punisher number eight did come out this week. I did not have a chance to read it. All right. I've only got a few left, folks. Bear with me. I did get to a lot of these books this week, surprisingly enough. Stayed up late. Uh, next up for me is Predator number five. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Kev Walker, colors by Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Now, this issue of Predator goes in a wholly different direction. The first four dealt with the protagonist character hunting down and being hunted by uh, predators. This issue introduces a new set of supporting characters that uh, may prove to be important to the survival of our current lead. And we find out more backstory as to why they are not necessarily trustworthy of our main character so far, but you know, we're being led into a big battle, big confrontation with the group of predators that are on that, that are proving to be really big uh, pains in the side of our lead character. Next up is Thor number 29. It's written by Torun Grunbeck, with art by Nick Klein, colors by Matt Wilson, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. So Torun Grunbeck is carrying on uh, and basically picking up the torch handed off by Donny Cates. This story has been teased in the, the current run of Thor. This is the um, flash-forward slash-dream sequence that is related to like Thanos basically winning with a version of Mjolnir that has the infinity stones embedded into it, as well as some alternate kind of black stone with the black gauntlet to boot to match. And so this, you know, kind of leads us down this story to expand upon that flash forward slash dream sequence. Interestingly, um, I did not have a chance to read another book out this week that apparently I should have read before reading this book. I, I didn't know. There's just too much to read. That being Thanos. Bring me Thanos. Death Notes number one. 
And my understanding is that this issue is a direct tie-in, a precursor or a prequel to this issue, Thor number 29. So you may want to take a look at that before you jump into Thor number 29. But ultimately in this issue, um, uh, you know, there is a big setup. You know, basically the stage is set for the main uh, supporting characters in Thor to come together. Uh, that being Runa, the um, the the parallel to Tessa Thompson's character in the MCU, uh, uh, playing a role, as well as another character who uh, is related to the origin of how Angela was introduced into the Marvel Universe. So it won't be a big surprise if Angela eventually uh, makes her way into the pages of this story arc. Next up is Tiger Division number two of five. Did you read this? Yes. Gotcha. So I'm going to uh, let Roddy Cap probably add most of his uh, commentary because I was not a fan of some of the, the story choices that were taken by uh, Emily Kim, who writes this book. The art is by uh, an acquaintance of mine, Chris Lee. Colors are by Yen Nitro, and letters are by VCs Ariana Marr. So this Tiger Division book, while introducing new characters, essentially uh, has uh, made its focus telling the origin story of Teguki, the erstwhile Superman of this Justice League of South Korea. And I guess my, you know, my disappointment is in some of the storytelling choices that, uh, that Emily Kim takes in telling, um, Teguki's story. At the same time, it's a different, you know, uh, uh, not every hero comes from that cookie cutter, uh, you know, uh, uh, came up as the underdog, came up, you know, with the heart of gold. And once was, once this character is granted powers, decided to use them for good. There is definitely a twist to that story here. And I will let Roddy Cat contribute uh, his thoughts on it. Right. Um, let's see. The only thing I can say without giving too much more away is like, yes, it is centered around this character. But I guess, if anything, you could say that, okay, while this is a tiger, this the book's called Tiger Division, it is definitely being centered around this one particular character, which I'm not sure why they had to, well, why they chose to um, make it about the team, which I, oh, actually, I, I do know why. I do understand why they did that, because they, no one knows who this character is by by themselves. So, uh, so to kind of center it around the team that they're with and also giving this team a little bit more, you know, give them more... Um, uh, uh, scene time, I guess. Uh, in exactly. The is, they were is, uh, introduced in... Right. I'm sorry, go ahead. Right. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, They were introduced in other books, and the right. only character that we would be previously acquainted with is Luna Snow. Because the White Fox, at least for now, has sort of taken... Uh, has gone off stage. So we... Right. You know, we, the, she'll probably come back into play at some point, but as Roddy Cat said... There's one character we recognize if you were unfamiliar with the previous appearances from the Tiger Division. 
Right. Um, but that being said, I, yeah, I didn't necessarily have a, have a, too much issue with the with the. It is kind of tropey the the the, uh, the story sorry telling that they're using here, but I'm not having that big of an issue with it because it's like okay, maybe I uh, maybe we're gonna get something fresh in between the here and there that the we're right. hoping that we're hoping for, and that's pretty much all I can say about that. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, if you don't have anything else, that is actually it for me. After all those books, folks, <laughs> I hope I cut down on the list that you would have to go through. Uh, you you, you kind of did, but I still have a couple. So, okay. um, with that, Mar- Magic the Gathering number twenty-one. That's interesting <laughs> choice of choice of words there. Um. Put that in there. Oops. Magic the Gathering number twenty-one, which is written by Jed McKay, and I don't see. Well, that's a bummer. Huh. Maybe I didn't pull the. Um. Maybe I didn't pull it. That's weird that I didn't. Um, Magic the Gathering number twenty-one, written by Jed McKay, um, uh, and Rich Dueck. Uh, illustrated by Iguara and Alberto uh, Locatelli uh, and uh, Jacques Solomon, colors by Ariana Consani and Francesco Segala and Gloria Martinelli. Oh, and uh, Natalia uh, Nestorinko and letters by Ed Dukeshire. So, um, this is pretty much. So we talked about last week. I talked about a, a new character uh, to this, uh, at least to the comic book universe, uh, Nihiri, the Lithomancer. And I was kind of wondering when they were going to bring this character back into play. Well, this issue is in that, which is not surprising because they've done this with the one shots before. Like they put out a one shot at one point, and then the character kind of, kind of comes into the main book uh, proper in the next, uh, the next issue. In this particular case. Uh, a few different people are looking for this other planeswalker who some have had some um, interactions with uh, during the last arc and uh, in different ways. And unfortunately, well, not for, fortunately and unfortunately, they're trying to find this um, uh, person because particularly in their one shot, they, um, uh, I guess got into a situation where they were kind of uh, not necessarily f the world, but they were kind of in a in a bad state because of dealing with these other uh, some of these other planeswalkers that they deal with. So this uh, other new planeswalker, planeswalker that they're looking for uh, is kind of going down a path, and I guess that's going to be the thing in this particular arc is to to, to try to find this person and keep them from doing something. Um, going bad, I guess, or breaking bad, I guess is the case may be, um, because they have a, they are on a mission to do something and they're pretty much by any means necessary, uh, outside of what happened in the last arc. So we have a bunch of flameswalkers kind of, uh, coming together in different, different ways, trying to, uh, or different forms, uh, to, uh, find this other person, uh, for reasons, that are between the groups, but it all eventually will probably come together as, uh, as these things tend to do. So, 
Um, next book is Secret Invasion number two. Um, do, 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 do. No, not Silent Night, Deadly Night, which, which is actually kind of funny. They did. Um, Secret Invasion number two, which is written by Ryan North, uh, art by Francisco Mobley, color artist uh, Joey Belair, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So this is uh, two of five, I believe it is, of this uh, miniseries, which... Um, Basically, harkens back to the um, to the original uh, secret invasion events from uh, was that the what nineties two thousands or something? It was like two thousands, wasn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Cause yeah, because breakout was yeah because breakout was like two thousand five or something like that. So yeah, yeah. So like uh, mid two thousands. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, uh, there seems to be a new scroll invasion coming, and Maria Hill is thinking she's got to drop on on this particular one, but uh, it's uh, according to events of this issue, that may or may not be the case, but we do know that um, she is the one that is singularly involved in this outside of uh, Nick Fury, um, OG or Junior uh, um, uh, in this uh, and also, I'm kind of wondering about something because I don't. You had, I know you hadn't read this issue because it was kind of curious as to where this is set. And I say that because Maria, where or both? Okay, because um, it's definitely not current. Well, it's close to current, but it's, it doesn't seem to be current. And I say that because there is a character in here that is quote unquote dead. And there is another character who, while it's a scroll, at, it's a scroll. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, that hasn't that hasn't borne out yet, but I don't think so. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, but it is a secret invasion story. Is, so you never know. But go well, ahead. there is a secret invasion, and Murray Hill, in the course of this issue, has found a way to um, to uh, find out what who's a scroll or not. But unfortunately, because the old way that ended up happening from the original thing doesn't work anymore, so that she kind of has to go back to a quote-unquote tried-and-true method. But even that uh, may or may not be effective, as we come to find out. But also, another character that shows up here, while kind of has been associated with, associated with the Avengers, is not an Avenger at this point, even though the lineup of Avengers that we see is mostly current. Mm. Um, so that's what Gus was kind of wondering about, like, okay, all of these are definitely Avengers, but this one person is not on the team at all. And this other person is no longer in the same capacity, so it's kind of curious. But nevertheless, outside of that, I'm I'm still kind of curious as to where this go and whether there's going to be anything out of this that's going to reverberate throughout the um through through throughout the universe, or is just going to be like, nope, this is just it, and you know, mm-hmm. just bringing this up because hey, it's, it's it's the 80th anniversary, and you know we're just bringing up old stories to kind of harken back to. Uh, next up which has, has been a thing this past year. Last book for me, uh, potential click of the week also is the variance, uh, number five of five. I was about to say, I don't think that's last. I think you still have one more. Wait, do I have it's one? buried between dark web and immortal. Oh shoot. I did not put that on there. You're right. Um, thank you. But I was, <laughs> 
man. No worries, no worries. So, but getting back to the variants, I want. Yeah, to actually, and sure I do have another one, but I'm like, yeah, I do actually have another one that I didn't put on there at all. But I'm not gonna talk about that one too much. But because uh, I just kind of glanced at. Um, but yes, yeah, the variants five and five. I'm still trying to find the cover. Um, so that's kind of annoying. There we go. There we go. Um, written by Gail Simone. Boop, 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 boop. Uh, art by Phil Noto. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, as I already said, it's a position click of the week uh, for me because this was, I'm not going to say fun is the word, but it was quite entertaining because basically Jessica Jones has her, meets a bunch of her own uh, variants in, or, or, or multiversal variants. Uh, and without giving too much of a, away, what she thought was um, a thing or the person she was against in the beginning of this turns out not to be the person um, that is involved, but one of the variants um, uh, that's involved. And that's not giving, I mean, that's while it's giving a little bit away, that's not giving everything away. And the reason why that this uh, particular person is um, against Jessica or what this person wants from Jessica is kind of amusing because you get to see the back person and their um, music to me, the backstory of this particular character and why they're doing what they're doing. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of amusing. Uh, like I say, cause it basically harkens back to, um, I won't say a tantrum, but let's just go along that lines <laughs> to, uh, as to why, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and who 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 and or what is this ultimately about? But like I said, I enjoyed the way this ended. Uh, it's been an enjoyable story throughout the whole um, five issues, um, and um, I dare say that while this has nothing to, to do with what's going, well, it has little to do with what what's uh, what's going on in the story. Gail Simone continues to have her thing about uh, Cyclops. If you follow her on social media, you, you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, I'm not. So I, I guess I'm going to have to take a look and see what that's all about. Yeah, it's a long-running thing, so you have, you'd have to... Well, you don't have to go back that far, actually, because it comes up every now and then for some silly reason. Either way, um, that is that. And definitely my... Let me make sure... Well, no, I'll, I might bring up this other one, but my next book is New Mutants number 32, which Agent 70 so kindly reminded me of... Uh, which is written by Charlie Jane Anders, um, uh, arts by Alberto Albuquerque with Rose Stein and uh, Ted Brandt on some parts, um, and Carlos Lopez with Tamara Bond villain uh, again. So there's uh, like some little um, three pa- three panel cartoons that are that are being done that are in the course of this and the last issue. Uh, and uh, Tamara Von, Von Villain and Rolstein and Ted Brandt are doing the art on those. The letters uh, are from BC's Travis Lanham. So there's this. Right, really... also, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Hold that thought. I want. I have a quick question. Okay. Is this the new writer's first or second issue post Vidal? Second. So yeah, second. I was about to get into that. Yeah. Um, so Charlie Jane Andrews has come up. I'm not sure if she's like on the book, on the book, or she's just doing this arc, arc, um, I, because I hadn't seen anything about, you know, her being, um, 
you know, like the new writer, right? Like the new writer. So I'm I'm just going off of that until I see one way or the other. But regardless, uh, and by the way, some some folks may or may not know Charlie Jane Anders as one of the co-founders of the the website IO9, who uh, while being a writer there started getting into like novel writing and and now is um, been doing a lot of novel writing since they left there and now have uh, apparently been asked to do this uh, this series, the story, which. Uh, involves a new, and I believe part of it actually comes out of um, the Marvel Voices Pride number one, where this character was first introduced. But I had not read that, so I did not know that. But luckily, there was a nice footnote in this uh, in this issue about that, or I think it, between this issue and the last issue. But there's this new uh, newly discovered mutant. I was about to say new mutant, but that's what the book is. Newly discovered sure. mutant named Escapade, whose name is I think Shayla uh, Sexton. Who, Shout out to Janet Jackson. Exactly. Um, who, um, after her, her friend, a Wolfsbane, and a couple of other mutants get um, get kidnapped by the human, uh, or I guess a version of the human last issue, they are in captivity, and it's up to uh, Escapade to uh, get them released or, or get them freed or some place. So this is basically her and uh, the rest of these new mutants basically trying to uh, escape uh, captivity. This is, that's the short end of it because there's a little bit more to it because there's a lot of um, dialogue about um, uh, identity and whatnot because one of the mutants captured, his name is Cerebellum, uh, who formerly went by the name of No Girl, if you know that character, and let's just say their captor is someone that is very familiar to her, if you know her story. And I'm not even sure if I even remember this character uh, from anywhere, but I don't think of her because I think this is part of like a 90s <laughs> character or something. Um, or probably 2000s, now that I think about it. But regardless, so yeah, so they are basically uh, trying to uh, get themselves away from that situation. Um during the course of this issue. And for my last book, which I'm, like I said, I'm not going to talk about too much because I just kind of briefly uh, uh, went through it, is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number one of five. And actually, I think I just closed out where I, where I put the credits. So that's also great. Here we go. Uh, written by Jordan if Ifuko. I apologize if, I, if I'm butchering your name. Uh, pencils by Alba Glez. Inks by Jose Mar- Marzin Jr. Color artist K.J. Diaz. And letters by V.C.'s uh, Travis Lanham. So yeah, this is a, a new miniseries with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Um, who apparently her parents have now found out that she is uh, moonlighting as a superhero. And obviously are not happy about that. But the story kind of goes on to um, uh, her like slightly uncharacteristically starting a, a roller derby group with an, uh, a bunch of other young inhumans. But this is kind of as a way to get her out of the house away from her parents and, you know, so she could keep doing what she's doing, basically. But she is... Uh, finding friends in her new uh, inhuman roller derby friends, but they also get into a little bit of uh, 
uh, trouble during the course of this issue because something I forgot to ask uh, Agent 70 about earlier with um, Miles Morales Spidey gets brought up here in that um, and I guess this is a holdout from the Kamala Act or something because there's something that's called the Powers Act uh, that got brought up in Miles Morales' uh, book this week and also gets brought up as a thing here because that are kind of clamping down on um, um, folks with power. And I guess that's, is that the whole Dark Rain? I mean, not Dark Rain thing, but um, does that come back to that? Whole I was going to ask you, is that, an, is that an aspect of Thunderbolts? That's because what I'm kind of wondering. I, I'm, I haven't read the new Thunderbolts yet. So, and that was, sorry. I forgot to mention, and I'm glad that you mentioned it. I wanted to say that I, I absolutely bumped on that. Right. When I was reading Miles this week, the, mm-hmm. the the Miles Morales Spider-Man number one, I was like, where did these, where did this concept come from? Right. And I thought about, so I have read Thunderbolts and I don't remember it being, um, it being mentioned there per se, but maybe I have to go back and, and check that out. Like maybe it is something that has kind of got it brought up there, but I thought it was something out of that last, um, um, that last event, the uh, Daredevil event or whatever. Um, that I'm that I'm blanking on. Is it Dark Rain or not Dark Rain? Is it um, what was it? Because it was just finished, but I know you were reading it. Um, I can't remember. Right, I'm tired. Whatever. When 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 today, right? At the end of the day, what I was going to say is we're not going to do this immediately, but we're going to go to the Googles and check (laughs) back with everyone later and let you know what we find. So that being said, though, so that's that is the thing that kind of comes up here, and, the, and yeah, like Agent Seventy, I kind of bumped on that with uh, with Mouth and this was like I'm not sure where it, where it came from, but only could think about it, it must have came up from that event where Fisk kind of said, "Hey, don't you know the the heroes the individualities need to be uh, uh, there needs to be be some oversight for for this stuff." So I don't know if that's the case, but we'll find out in a little bit. But regardless. Um, uh, Nella kind of like the end of the course of doing her thing with with her new roller skating roller uh, bl- uh, roller derby folks kind of runs across another group, but it uh, seems that are after her that may or may not have something to do with this Powers Act thing. I'm not sure, but uh, the last thing we see is um, something that happens with this at the end of this. So I am assuming the story is going to be all about that and kind of get well actually take the back there is another wrinkle to the story because um uh that has to do with lunella being inhuman and where her powers originally came from and there was someone else there was someone of that uh of, of that race trying to find out some information from lunella about things of that nature uh and i guess that's going to be the thing uh ultimately uh, about the story and that is it for me. Clicks of the week. Clicks of the week. So we have clicks from everybody this week. We do have clicks from everybody this week. And where did I? There we go. Let's see. I do remember what I was ahead, but I only want to get it right. So, yeah, Dirt is Fantastic Four number two, which is a pretty good pick. Yes. Um, I just pull up that cover, and uh, Tim's is X Men Red number nine. That's another good pick. Oh yeah, those are both candidates for my click of the week this week. 
So uh, do you have yours yet? Because I am still weighing my options. But I definitely spoke specifically about one of my other candidates this week, Gargoyles number one. Hmm. I did enjoy that, um, but I can't say enough to make it clear this week, though. Exactly. Um, Listen, Immortal is probably the strongest contender next yes. to Gargoyles. I said, you know, yeah. Immor- Immortal and X-Men Red. So for me, it would be, uh, yeah, yeah, Immortal, yeah, X-Men Red definitely would also be that one. But um, for me, it's those two and the variants would probably be the gotcha. strongest. Gotcha. As much as I enjoyed Spider-Man number three because it was nice, like there's a lot of unfamiliar this week mm-hmm. with all of these Marvel books and all of these other books, you know, like introducing remixes and um, variations on a common theme, even though it's uh, previously explored material aka the spider-verse it's really nice to kind of jump into something familiar like oh we have a group of spiders you're not necessarily familiar with all of them but they're all doing something and they're fighting uh you know uh they're they're, they're fighting in support of a common cause and the villains that they're dealing with are not exactly old they have been around before uh namely shathra and sort of the the uh, which one call it? Um, oh my goodness, I, his his name escapes me now. Um, but uh, you know, one of the main uh, uh, catalysts behind that whole totem story and the introduction of Silk. So oh, Morlin, Morlin, thank you. Mm-hmm. So you know, ultimately, you know, uh, all of the character, all, all of, like so many of the players are familiar, but it's still it uh, it helps me to kind of recenter and be like, oh, I remember these characters. Let's see what they're up to now. Right. You know? Um, I really did like that Gargoyles number one. It really hit like a, a, a very strong note uh, for getting us up to speed. I really appreciate that. I could not talk enough about that. You know, if there's, any, if there's a, 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 like a, a master class in getting people up to speed on something that they may be partially familiar with. I think this issue is it. This is the masterclass. Like you don't have to spend that much time on it. You can do it in a page and do it effectively and say, we'll get to it later, you know, with like a wink and a smile. I can agree with that. Yeah. So I, but I think though, I think the, 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 the most fun read I had this week, the most dramatic read was probably X-Men red number nine. So I think I'm going to second at Tim dog 98's click of the week choice. Hmm. Okay. You didn't, uh, I was going to ask you, did you even check out that extreme X-Men? I did not. That's just among the list of books. I may get to at some point if there are fewer books. I, you know, the, there are new books out next week from Marvel folks. It's not like they're, you know, it's not like they're coming out with nothing next week. Um, but I think, I, I am I'm certain that there are going to be far less, far fewer, that is, far fewer books next week than this week. So maybe I'll try to read some of the books I didn't get to this week and sprinkle them into next week's group. We'll see. But, yeah, I did not get to Extreme X-Men. My understanding is that this is, much like Gargoyles, picking up right where that Extreme X-Men run left off with right. Sal LaRocca and Chris Claremont. Right. And I... 
I'm fairly certain I remember that being a book, but I never read it because like, I'm fairly certain I wasn't reading stuff like that. But I was kind of curious of reading it, but I was like, you know what? Maybe I should go back and – or maybe I don't need to. I don't know. If, it, if it's like Gargoyles and kind of sets it up, probably I won't need to go back and read it again. So, but I right. didn't check it out at all. So I think right. I read it and fell off of it. Oh, I will definitely okay. admit that I fell off of it. You know, I dropped it at some point before the run ended. Right. So I don't exactly recall how the story ended. So I would appreciate if uh, Claremont does, in fact, set the table, you know, like, uh, you know, like set up the story so that it's easy to, to remember or at least explain what happened at the end of the the, the previous incarnation of, of uh, Extreme X-Men. Right. Though I feel like if it's like that Gambit book that, he, that just finished, it's like, I don't know, he's. And this is a speculation on my part. Like maybe he's like, you know what, you know, who, you know what this is. You just need to do. We just need to like get you where this is being placed, and then you kind of know where this. You can go from there because you know already know it. I, I don't know if there's mm-hmm. going to be any of that, but uh, we'll we'll check back into it probably next week. We'll see. Uh, I think for myself, I think I'm going to go with the other X book actually. Not because upon thinking about it, I do love the the, the variance. It was great, um, but I think Immortal is is. Boy, as opposed blockers. to X-Men Red. Yeah, I, I love that. I love X-Men Red, too. Uh, but I think um, because of everything that happened in Immortal, like, that thing was kind of bonkers. This <laughs> is like, okay, just... Yeah, just, like the repeated attempts. Yeah. Right. You know? Like, this is It's like, hey, now I'm going to try this one. And then right. try this. I'm going to take out this group of members of the uh, the Quiet Council. And then I'll right. try the next group. Right. You know, different permutations. It's like, definitely scientific method. Right. You, yeah. When when it's first you don't succeed, try and try again. And dang, if uh, Sinister did not do just that <laughs> within his, within his uh, means, anyway. So, right. uh, and like I just said earlier, to what ends is probably that um, uh, Age of Sinister, uh, whatever. Uh, Sinister, it, Sinister. I thought it was Sinister Sinister. It is, but I'm just saying it's, it's oh, pretty okay. much what it is. <laughs> right, right, right. I was about to say, I'm like, wait, did I forget that too? No, I, no, no, no. Getting... You... No, you had it right. Beyond all recognition, Mm-mm, I got. Right. It. We just, you know, got to call it what it is. It's a, it's an age of, ex, you know, X book. So, at any rate, that is the clicks of the week. Uh, before we get into the news, let's get a uh, one ad in, please. Our first ad read of the night is for Funko, Fun at First Sight. It's your home for exclusive collectibles such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise such as their custom DIY pop figures, art books, and skateboards. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. To place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10 for your 10% off discount. Funko through cspn.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. There we go. And now we're going to get into the cinematic news as we tend to do about this time. Former CEO, Disney CEO, excuse me, let me make that clarification. Former Disney CEO Michael Eisner publicly celebrates Pop Chapek's ouster. Um, Yikes. Yeah, well, you know. 
Um, so it says here as Bob Iger steps, uh, steps in again as CEO of Disney following the, the, the dismissal of Bob Checkback. We talked about it last week uh, on this here program. Eisner took to his Twitter page to express how the company, quote, has suffered in recent years, which would point to the time period that Chapek was the man in charge. Uh, the former CEO went on to say, this is a good time for us to remember the words of Walt Disney, who said, everybody, everybody falls down. Getting back up is how you learn to walk. It's funny because I know people like Eisner, and I was like, I don't remember him. <laughs> just, <laughs> just was like, ha, good for you. I don't know, but um, yeah, um, seriously, he's, he's taking shots, man. Shots yeah. are definitely fired right there. Yep. Next up, uh, a new report has emerged suggesting that current Disney chief financial officer Christine McCarthy is the front runner to replace Bob Iger as CEO after his two-year term comes to a close in 2024. As per deadline, Disney insiders believe McCarthy is a leading contender to take over for Iger. Um, she has been the chief financial officer at Disney since 2015 was in, and was instrumental in the removal of Bob Chapek as Disney CEO, which took place last, late last month on November 20th. And, and Bob, she would be, if she was handed the keys, mm -hmm. she would be the company's first female chief executive officer. Yes. I did this to you. <laughs> Tell them it was me. <laughs> I hadn't even seen that, but I've seen I've seen that part. That's the which is yeah. always funny. I, I want to say that was Game of Thrones. Yes, it was. Yeah, thank Tell you. Tell it was me. Yeah. Um, the 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 headline from the deadline, which I will put up here, is kind of amusing. Um, it says Disney's Christine McCarthy emerges as top CEO contender to succeed Bob Iger. CFO was King Killer, who took down Bob Chapek. Yikes! Right. So that, There's that some was, click. That's a clickbaity headline. If there ever was a clickbaity headline, one. right? And that's why I didn't use that one, even though this one wasn't. You know, well, the other one I saw wasn't that much better. Either way, Disney's uh, latest AI tool deages actors in seconds. Now. This is not necessarily comic related, but there's a reason why I put that why I um, why I'm bringing this up. So it says here uh, in a academic paper, Disney Research Studios explains that Fran F R A N, which stands for Face Reaging Network, is a neural network that was trained using a large database containing pairs of randomly generated uh, synthetic faces at various varying ages which bypasses the need to otherwise find thousands of images of real people at uh, different ages that depicts uh, the final facial expressions of pose, lighting, and background. So essentially, they can pretty much de-age anybody they, they, they need to with this, with this stuff. And I'm assuming, and I don't know if it says so here, because uh, it kind of goes into examples and, and whatnot, but I don't... Well, it says here... Despite its potential benefits in filmmaking, it's not clear whether Disney intends to make this uh, technology available to the public. There's still certain room for improvement, so it could be a while until we see this level of intricate visual effects work practically automated within the industry. And I, like I said, I mentioned that because we know from the uh, Indiana Jones trailer that we talked about last week that uh, Harrison Ford has been de-aged for it. And I kind of wonder if they use this particular te technology to do it. So, and this also also goes into other uh, de-aging um, things that uh, Disney has done in, in comparison. So, curious. Next up, 
Next up, Margarita Levieva and Sandrine Holt are joining the Disney Plus series Daredevil Born Again. So they are set for major roles opposite Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio in the show. And this is reported by Deadline. Uh, details about Levieva's and or Levieva's and Holt's characters are being kept under wraps. They may be playing love interest for the leads. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, we'll see how Born Again adapts the original storyline. So, well, one, shout out to Sandrine Hope, Holt, who I know I've seen somewhere, but I'm trying to remember where. And also, I see here by her IMDb, she was in that Mutant X um, uh, show from, from the early 2000s. Um, but I know I've seen her in other places. So. Wait, she's Asian. Uh, correct. Her name is, she's born Sandrine Vanessa Ho, H-O. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I'm like, why would you go by Holt? I guess Maybe. we know why. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure why. She was also in The, in the Expanse and MacGyver and, uh, well, that's the new MacGyver, but Mr. Robot a couple other places. But I, I'm trying to remember, I'm not sure where, where I know her from. Regardless, cool. Um... Doctor Strange 2 news, uh, Haley Atwell says Captain Carter didn't fit her vision for Peggy, apparently. Uh, in a new interview with Digital Spy, the star explained how she felt in no certain t- uncertain terms, oh, uh, how she felt in no uncertain terms. Um, Atwell admitted it was definitely not, you know, the trajectory that I see for Peggy. Um, I would definitely like her to have more to do, and I think there are people that would agree with you on that. Um... Now, the Agent Carter actress wouldn't be the first star to have some issues with her character in one of these massive franchises, according to this article. Uh, but it's important to note that Captain Carter and the rest of the Illuminati were variants. Yeah, 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 whatever. Um, it says here, it, there's a quote from her that says, uh, it depends on what Marvel and what the audiences want. I'm a custodian of her. Uh, compared to the rest of my compare, career and everything I've done uh, or my stage work and doing Mission Impossible now. Oh, right. She is in that. I forgot about that. Um, and now the diversity of roles I played and the diversity that I get to explore and to be able to play more complex roles and villains and lots of different things, she's not mine anymore. So who's to say what's, what's going to happen with Peggy Carter's future in the MCU? Exactly. Next up. Uh, in an interview with The Guardian, Armor War star Don Cheadle expressed excitement at the chance to finally explore... Uh, James Rhodey Rhodes's uh, character in Armor Wars. You know, he, he wants to. Uh, you know, he believes that uh, the character hasn't been exp- has not been explored at all up until this point. And guess what? He's right. Absolutely. We've he's seen right. Him on, yeah, he's, we've seen him on the side of of uh, well, basically we've seen him on the side of Tony for the most part. Um, right. You know, making bad jokes. Right. At uh, Cap's expense, and I was kind of like, "All right, Rhodes, you're going to get something for that one." Well, I mean, he did, but not exactly. Exactly. Even though I felt bad for thinking that, I'm like, "You're going to get something for that one," and you did, you know. But um, but at the end of the day, he saw the light in um, in Infinity War. Uh huh. That's what you know because he finally he finally was like, you know what, stick it up, you know, stick it up your butt. Uh, not Joe Boo, but then uh, Thunderbolt Ross. <laughs> yes, that is true. 
Uh, let's see. Next up, Black Panthers 2's Angela Bassett filmed a scene with T'Challa's son. I'm bringing that up. Well, yeah, but it's weeks since that movie. Hopefully, you've been able to see it if you if you were if you wanted. Yes, to. yeah, it's been a month. So, um, the, the, that whole thing's been ripped off by this point. But this kind of brings up some some a theory that I had because I, I figured like they had to have there felt like there was a scene missing in that. Uh, but and this kind of confirms that scene that I was thinking about. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, it says here that uh, in a recent interview with Variety, Bassett uh, revealed that she shot a scene with T'Challa's hidden son, spoiler alert, that was uh, <laughs> eventually cut from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now, see people still talking about recast T'Challa. I'm like, please shut up. Anyway, um, it was revealed in the, uh, oh yeah, they talk about the mid-credits scene, um, and then goes on to say that, um, oh, that uh, Bassett explained that the cutscene with the with his, the character would have introduced the new character earlier in the film. Uh, and she quotes, "I went to Haiti, of course. I met him. I was introduced to you, but it wound up on the cutting room floor. But we did get a uh, we did get mention of that near the end of the movie, but it wasn't clear how. Like, did she actually meet him as an introduction to the thing, or the fact that she did actually run into him, but did not know who it was, and that's how she met, you know. At least at the point, she didn't know. So so this kind of confirms that, okay, yeah, it that did happen. Next up. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 star Palm Clementiev, who's incredibly beautiful, <laughs> but I am not going to reduce her to that. Uh-huh. recently hinted that the upcoming sequel does not mark the end for the MCU's band of misfit cosmic adventurers. So the actress who plays Mantis discussed the team's fate in an episode of D23's D23 Inside Disney podcast. She states it's going to be, in some ways, the end of a chapter, you know, as the Guardians of the Galaxy family, she said. So we'll see what happens after. It's not like, quote, over, over, unquote, but it's going to be different after for sure. And that makes some sense that some characters might bow out, as they have in the comics, with some characters carrying on the mantle with a new set of teammates. So, you know, we'll see uh, how, uh, how that all plays out when Guardians is released. Yeah. At first I was thinking, well, if she's saying this, this kind of, kind of takes a little bit out of the theory I had, uh, going on with that and with, with her character specifically, but may or may not be the case. We'll, we still have to wait and see. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse announces trailer release date. So we're getting an announcement of an announcement basically. Uh, uh, so Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has some new images following around the social media. Um, Twitter is, I wouldn't say absolutely flooded, but they have seen some, definitely. Uh, absolutely flooded with posts of the editing bay for the film. Uh, Miles uh, Morales and Gwen Stacy are in the middle of a tender moment in their costumes. They're also upside down in the one picture that I saw, which, uh, yeah, here's the picture uh, if you're watching the video version uh, from the Spider-Verse um, uh, uh, Twitter accounts. It says here that there's been rumors that another, there's another trailer close at hand, and this kind of moment only dumps gasoline on those hopes, according to this article. 
Um, okay, yeah, this goes into an Empire Magazine interview with Phil Lord and Chris Miller about uh, their relationship, but nothing about when the trailer is coming. Well, potentially coming uh, twelve thirteen. So a couple of days from now is potentially the re- uh, the release of a new trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So that's the takeaway from this thing. Next up. I mean, I can't help but sing that title to the tune of the Beatles' Across the Universe. Sure. Just can't be. It's right there, yeah. So, um, during a chat with The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Jonathan Kasdan, oh, well, Lawrence Kasdan, along with his son Jonathan Kasdan, um, was asked about... Actually, no, one of the Kazdan, the younger Kazdan, I'm sorry, was asked about, Jonathan Kazdan, was asked about Solo, and he talked about Kira, the role played by Amelia Clark. He shared that he would like to see Lucasfilm take the same special presentation approach as Marvel and revealed why Kira is a character he wants to bring back. Okay, good for him. Yeah, I mean, she's she's getting a lot of play in the, in the comics. <laughs> as right. Recent, so, you know, that's quite possible. Uh, the Mandalorian season three writing credits, uh, and this is a speculation piece, but I'm just bringing this up in a way as you know. Um, but uh, the Mandalorian season three writing credits have fans expecting a major Star Wars Rebels cameo, which I feel like is probably duh, given a character that I'm thinking of anyway. Um, but anyway, it says per the official Writers Guild of America West. Uh, the Mandalorian creator John Favreau writes on every episode of season three, with Noah Clure contributing to episode three and Dave Filoni writing episodes four and seven. Uh, many fans have taken Filoni's participation in pinning just two scripts to mean that some of his animated creations, uh, specifically Star Wars, Clone Wars, Ahsoka, and Rebel Sabine Wren, will cameo in those chapters. Uh, at the time of this writing, uh, according to this article, this remains pure speculation, and neither Lucasfilm nor Disney have confirmed either character's inclusion in the live-action Disney Plus series. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but I can see why people would like that to be the case. But it also makes sense for at least one, well, at least one of them. Well, both of them, I guess, since he has uh, he has uh, interacted with Ahsoka before, but not Sabine at this point. So, sure, it could happen. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. Next up. So, the wife of Power Rangers star, recently deceased Jason David, has confirmed the cause of death and attempts to set the record straight on his final night. So, um, in response to some of the, uh, you know, to the outpouring of grief, as well as some of the, uh, the news reports and rumors that came out, Tammy Frank wrote a long statement to People Magazine asking fans for privacy during this tough time for her family. Uh, she confirmed that he passed away as the result of a successful suicide attempt and uh, uh, filled in some of the blanks about their uh their marital issues leading up to uh, his taking his own life. So, uh, you know, um, you know, our condolences to Tammy Frank and her family. And, you know, it's very sad if anyone is having troubles with thoughts of, uh, with depression and thoughts of suicide, please reach out to your local suicide prevention hotline. Indeed. 
Shazam 2 reveals best look at Rachel Zegler's DC villain. So this is a brand new photo from Brazil's 2022 Comic Con experience um, who shows Rachel Zegler as the villain Anthea in her full armor. Uh, This is posted on Twitter by the Hollywood Handle, whatever that is. Um, The photo shows a giant standee of um, Anthea's full costume from the movie, which includes a gold cape, knee-high armored boots, a gladiator-style bodice, uh, and shoulder pads. So uh, I think that may or may not be any indication of it, but there's a picture from said uh, Twitter account uh, in the article if you're not watching the video version of this here podcast. Next up. Uh, DC's Blue Beetle has gotten an epic first poster. you got to love hyperbole in these headlines. Right. Blue Beetle has a sleek new poster uh, that came out the mo- last week, the morning of December 3rd. DC Films revealed the image of the scarab on social media, and fans apparently freaked out about the news. That freaking out is news to me. Angel Manuel Soto's project will see the light of day after concerns that things could end up like the Batgirl movie or the Wonder Twins project, or unfortunately, Patty Jenkins's Wonder Woman treatment for Wonder Woman 3. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have news on that. We'll get to that in a minute. All right, we'll get to that very shortly. So this movie is set to release set to release next year on August eighteenth, twenty twenty three. We'll see if we're able to. As when I say we, myself and Roddy Cat and the rest of the Comp Chronicles are able to muster up enough enthusiasm to go see Blue Beetle in the theaters. Uh, it's not like we were able to do that for Black Adam. Or care to, for in my respect, but <laughs> right. And I was about to say the point is we weren't able, we were not able to. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So I do actually know someone who was actually hyped when this when this um when this uh, poster came out and is hyped for the movie. Um. But they are generally a um a very exuberant person anyway in respect to certain things. So it is what it is on that. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I we'll see after after the first trailer comes out. The first official trailer comes out. We will see. We will we will gauge uh, uh, interest. Yeah. Interest then. Yeah, the Flash gets premiere date for um, ninth and final season, and that date is February Wednesday, February eighth at eight o'clock um, on the CW. <clears throat> I guess. I guess if this is supposed to be of a note, uh, it'll be followed at 9 p.m. by the mid-season return of Kung Fu. So I, the only thing notable in here outside of that is that I remember Flash used to come be the one coming on at 9 o'clock. So now it's coming on or premiering an hour earlier for the last season, which I guess says something, even though I think it's like the last Arrowverse show to uh, Alive, if I'm not mistaken. So sure, get it on, get it out there, get it out of the way, huh? Um, but yeah, according to this article, <laughs> the flash will be remembered as one of the greatest shows in history of the CW and everybody involved in this excellent nine season run should be very proud. Speaking of hyperbole, but this is, that was mm-hmm. from Brad Swartz, uh, president and entertainment of the C, uh, CW network. That truth flash kind of did some numbers for him. So yeah, I, I watched <laughs> the first season. Oh, totally. I watched a few seasons. So I'm, you know, it was definitely a great show. Um, and spun off a couple others, or spun off at least one other. So, right. 
Some would say it probably sp- spun off the rest of those shows, but who, you know. Um, well, Apple technically spun off everything. Well, yes, that is true, but I'm just saying, you know, uh, after a certain point, this stuff mm-hmm. is kind of coming off of the flash. Um, right. The team had, has uh, delivered an epic final season. Uh, there's that word again. Filled with plenty of twists, guest stars, and surprises that will delight every fan. Now it's time to catch up and enjoy this uh, fantastical ride, fan- final ride, uh, alongside the fastest man alive. Or, this is still a quote from uh, the CW president. Next up. A description of, Sa- of Sasha... Callie's Supergirl from a piece of promotional merchandise for the Flash, the upcoming The Flash movie, the Flashpoint movie, hints that the DC Universe version of the Girl of Steel is not operating at full power in the upcoming film. An official Flash movie t-shirt that was available at Comic-Con Experience 2022 in Brazil offers descriptions of the film's two versions of Barry Allen, The Flash, uh, played by, uh, unfortunately still played by Ezra Miller, uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman is played by Michael Keaton, and Supergirl, which describes them as two idiot kids, a retired vigilante, and a half-charged, half-charged solar-powered alien, respectively, which implies that for whatever reason, Supergirl's Kryptonian powers are diminished in the film. It's not clear yet if Callie will be portraying the Kara Zor-El version of Supergirl, or perhaps an alternate incarnation of the character most recently portrayed by Melissa Benoist on the CW's Supergirl and the related Arrowverse slash Flash spinoff shows. Or Power Girl. No, I'm just kidding. Let me stop. Um, yeah, if you want to replace a, an actor, replace Ezra Miller. How about that? But I wouldn't know they're not going to do that. Uh, speaking of, Ezra Miller's uh, The Flash movie gets earlier release dates. Uh, release dates. Apparently, it is um, basically moving up a week. Um, so it is set to, to arrive in theaters on June 16th, 2023 as opposed to the previously scheduled opening of June 23rd, 2023. So it says here that the change in release will give The Flash more time in theaters before the premiere of another, and according to this article, equally anticipated release, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which will open up on June 30th. So, yeah. Next up. Uh... Arrow star Stephen Amell says that he is open to returning as Oliver Queen for The Flash's final season, though he did note that he has not yet been asked to make an appearance yet. Amell made the comments during a recent Instagram Live via Screen Rant addressing the question fans have been asking for some time now. Okay. Too busy doing that wrestling show, which is not great. Well, I was about to say that my understanding is that that's actually gained a, a real following. It's, I, so I watched the first season. It's actually, and I, you know me, I'm not a wrestling fan. It was actually pretty good, and it's on cool. stars. So um, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, yeah, it, I was about to say was, stars, right? Right. But yeah, yeah it, that's, it, it, that's why I don't. Watch it. Although there are always ways to watch these things. That is true. So yeah, um, but yeah, but that show's not bad actually. Um, and here's the news that uh, Agent Seventy alluded to earlier. Uh, Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman 3 not moving forward as DC movies hit a uh, turning point, according to The Hollywood Reporter. So, it says, a cleaning of the slate is common when a new executive team is put into place to run a studio or division, but there's likely little precedent for the amount of 
Clorox, James Gunn, and Peter Safran could spray as they prepare to launch DC Studios and guide superhero movies uh, for the next half of decade and beyond. Um, cut to the chase. Multiple services tell Hollywood Reporter that Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman 3 is not moving forward and is considered dead in its current incarnation. Uh, there was also some side rumors that there were some creative uh, differences uh, in there, and I believe this kind of might mention some of that. But yeah, so it's to say that Jenkins recently submitted her treatment, co-written with Jeff Johns, and that Gunn and Safran, as well as uh, Warner Brothers Pictures co-chairs, uh, Michael DeLuca and Pamela Abbey broke the news to the filmmaker telling her her project as it stood did not fit uh, with the, the new but still unfolding plans uh, so there is that like I said uh, and there was like, like I just said the other rumor said that she quit cause of, cause of, because basically because of this creative differences so, right. don't know if that's right. I'll if, say that there's, there's something new that that uh, elaborated on the creative differences. I remember seeing something come across my social media feeds, but I don't remember them exactly. We'll probably talk about it next week. Yeah, I have another story kind of in the wings, but uh, I think it came out around the same time as this, so it might be just reiterating this. But I'll go see. I'll go see later on. Uh, next up, though, apparently a new report suggests that one of the casualties of the restructuring of DC Studios with James Gunn and uh, Peter Safran was a new Batman film starring Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. What's more, the project may have actually been a Batman Beyond adaptation. On the latest edition of The Hot Mic with Jeff Snyder and John Roca, industry insider Jeff Snyder um, reported that new DC bosses, Gunn and Saffron, killed this solo Batman movie that would have starred Michael Keaton. Uh, it would have been, the project was apparently being written by Christina Hodson, and uh, apparently Umberto Gonzalez of The Rap not only corroborated Snyder's report that uh, this film was being written by Hodson before being scrapped, but that it, in fact, was to be an adaptation of Batman Beyond. Okay. I'm sure there's going to be some people that will take this news in relation to the, the last news a certain way. We, we're not going to be those people. Um, Birds of Prey was all right. I didn't know she had uh, anything to do with the Flash movie either, but, yeah. yeah. Okay. If this was a thing, that's kind of a shame because I, I don't know. I know there are fans of Batman Beyond and would, who would love to see that play out in live action. Absolutely, I think it's that's prime territory for live action. Mm-hmm. You know, right. just like the you know adapting like certain elements of the first two seasons of Batman Beyond would be great to see. Right. So, you know, it's still a report at this point, but if, if that was if even something that was actually there. Um, but next up, uh, this is me, uh, Game of Thrones actor drops out of, uh, Lords of the Rings, Rings of Power, and the role has been recast. You skipped, you skipped a few stories. Did I? What did I skip? Um, oh crap. Oh yes, I did. Huh. Oh, right. There was, oh man. Totally. Thank you. Um, no worries. Only because I always queue up my next story. I'm like, wait, you skipped a couple. <laughs> Gotcha. Or at least I try to queue up uh, stories so that we can keep things moving, folks. But there are times when, you know, I'm covering for Roddy Cat as he's getting stuff uh, taken care of. Um, there are times when I'm, I'm I'm sitting at my computer like, 
Oi. What does the story have to say now? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so this one's a brief one, actually. The combined HBO and Discovery app uh, will reportedly just be called Max, which that's so stupid. Um, if it, I if mean, that is the case, I was about to say hold hold, hold that thought. I mean, is it really going to go full sa- full saved by the bell? <laughs> you know, no, no. we don't know. Shout out. Listen, there's so many like the, the fans of Saved by the by, uh, the fans of Saved by the Bell are are, are legion, right? I was never that big a fan, um, but I, you know I have a younger sister, and every time I run into people who are her cohort, like you know just a few years younger than myself and and a little bit younger than she is, I run into the fact that they that you know that this is one of their prime television shows. And so, you know, uh, Saved by the Bell continues to have a lot of staying power. Mm. But go on. I mean, you know, Saved by the Bell, in an Archie kind of way, was kind of fun for what I remember seeing. And, you know, the the young lady at the time who played Lisa Tuttle was pretty, was quite pretty. Um, yeah. Things have changed, though. For, yeah, I know. For her. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, in a couple of different ways, actually. Yes, but anywho, exactly. back one. Yeah, but back oh, to okay. the story. Um, I was about to say you didn't talk. Oh, that's right. I, I thought you were going to leave it at just the renaming. Go ahead. No, I was. Well, I'm just going to add that um, it says they're according to a report from CNBC, which notes that uh, while the final decision hadn't been made, Max, quote unquote, is the likely choice and is being vetted by Warner Brothers Discovery's legal team, which I, I you know, I feel like for SEO purposes, that's that's a kind of a dumb name personally. Uh, but also, there's nothing wrong with HBO Max. I'm just saying. Um, well, the anyway. thing is, it, it, what, it, what it does is that it overshadows the discovery part. And I think that's probably what they object to. So this article kind of uh, kind of mentioned something. I'm just guessing. That. That's completely conjecture on my part. Well, like, this article is kind of saying something along those lines. Because basically, this, um, says the reasoning for the Max name is simpler uh, a simple Warner Brothers Discovery wants HBO to fit in this huge stable of content without overshadowing programming from Discovery. There DC, it is. Comics, Warner Brothers, CNN, etc. So, yeah, they're kind of basically going along with you on that one. Mm-hmm. So, still a stupid name. Regardless, next up. Uh, in the sad news of the week, or at least, yeah. you know, one of the bigger entertainment uh, news stories that was sad... Kirstie Alley, iconic TV and movie star, best known for her Emmy Award-winning role as Rebecca Howe on Cheers, where everybody knows your name, as well as Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, has passed away at the age of 71 following a very private battle with cancer. Her children announced the tragic news on social media. So I cannot express how surprised I was because her battle with cancer was kept very private. Right. Um, Wow. Okay. I did not know that was a picture John Travolta used in his thing. Okay. Sure. Is that Um, in the story? Yeah. I didn't scroll down yet. So yeah, because yeah, John Travolta and a a few other people, um, you know, who, who have worked with her, um, you know, came out and said some things. Uh, about her, I, I'm like this one. I slightly, I kind of had kind of a crush on Christian Allen back in the day, you know, and that was before Savick. But that's that's a whole other thing. But also, 
in the later years, uh, unfortunately, he also went down a, a path kind of like Lord Mark Forhees did um, right. politically, let's say. So, but yeah, it is a fuck answer basically, and this is this is uh, this is still sad nonetheless. And Veronica's closet again. I was, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I actually watched that show because of her. <laughs> but moving right along. Now we get to the one that I was actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's this? Actually, let me go ahead and. Da-da-da-da. Game of Thrones actor drops out of Lord of the Rings Rings Power. Roles has been recast. And that uh, role is. Um, excuse me. That actor's name is uh, Joseph Molly. Uh, I guess he was uh, Benjamin Stark on Game of Thrones, apparently. But he played Adar on the, the Rings of Power Season 1. But he's dropping out for season two and being replaced by uh, Sam Hazeldine, Hazeldine, excuse me, of Peaky Blinders. And it says that uh, Amazon did not provide any explanation as to why Molly is leaving the rings of power. But he himself commented on Twitter and says that he feels honored that people liked his performance as Adar, but he's leaving rings of power because he feels it is his duty to, quote, explore new characters and worlds. So he's going to Star Trek next. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Wishing all the best to the cast and crew for season two. I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines. I kind of wonder if it was one of these things like, you know what? I didn't think this was going to be that big a bigger commitment. So I'm out. But this is speculation on my part. So I don't know. Next up. All righty. In a show I have yet to watch, although now I'm curious because it's already, you know, talking about season two. Mm-hmm. The motley band of adventurers in critical roles, the legend of Vox Machina or Machina, depending on your point of view, but I believe it is Machina, it is. on Prime Video will be joined by a few famous voices in season two. Henry Winkler, a Lance Reddick and Cheech Marin will uh, guest star in the second season of the Dungeons and Dragons inspired adult animated series. Additional guest cast for season two includes Will Friedel, Billy Boyd, Chris Summer, Alana Ubach, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, Troy Baker, and Sendil Rama Murthy. Oh, oh, as well as Ralph Ineson. Um, the Legend of Vox Machina season two premieres soon next month, January 23, exclusively on Amazon's Prime Video with an exact date to be announced. So uh, season one uh, starred critical role founders and cast members, uh, Talisa Jaffe, Ashley Johnson, Travis Willingham, Sam Regal, Marisha Ray, Liam O'Brien and Laura Bailey. Um, Matthew Mercer, critical roles, a longtime dungeon master, provides the voices of additional characters. There are a, other returning guest cast. Um, apparently, unbeknownst to myself, maybe to Roddy Cat, this was known, the first season of Vox Machina has a rare 100% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. And it premiered on Prime Video earlier this year. Maybe this is the time to catch up on this because... We are right now experiencing a little bit of a lull in genre content between now and the end of the year. So I didn't know about the Rotten Tomato thing because like, you know well that I don't care, care anything about Rotten Tomatoes or the, those metrics. But um, I know for a fact that people definitely love this because people like the original, that uh, the original live play, role, uh, live play uh, 
D and D set. Yeah, it's not LARP, exactly. You have to be careful to not say LARP. But go on. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but um, well, they call it something specific, but uh, and not LARP. But uh, but regardless, people know what I'm talking about. Right, because um, it's not exactly LARP, but yeah. Right, right. So, and I've watched a few episodes. I love, I like it myself, but I've not watched this uh, in the, the. So, if it's anything remotely similar to um, how to get down on the um, on on the actual play, um, I'm, I'm sure it's fun times. I might, yeah, I might actually check in on this because I've, I, um, yeah. I'm yeah, I gotta add this to my list. Yeah, and I know there's still like the still my list. Yeah, they they're still doing things out there because I know that I see the critical role. As a matter of fact, last well, yes, night because I was about to say, is it Thursday yet? No, it's not. It's Friday. But um, yeah, I'll add yeah. it to my list. I mean, at the end of the day, I will make Roddy Cat happy. We're not at that section of the news yet, but I will make him happy in the sense uh, when I say that I did start Yu Yu Hakusho. I'm like six or seven <laughs> episodes in. Um, it always, it's it's interesting. Uh, uh, to see that the main character is a character that needs redemption, that is on a redemptive arc, mm-hmm. and is not the traditional, you know, like lead character, lead character in a shonen anime who's like, you know, pure and virtuous, and is the obvious lead character. You know, shout out to Tanjiro, you know, yeah. but still has some similars of of, of uh, shonen protagonist. Make no mistake. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. So at the end of the day, I did start that, but um, I am going to take note of uh, The Legend of Vox Machina and make sure I give that a shot uh, maybe this weekend, you know, and in the upcoming week because, you know, it's it's a little slow when it comes to the genre stuff. So, you know, we'll talk about it next week, see if I had a chance to watch it yet. Gotcha. Next up. Oops. The Witcher Blood Origins heroes are ready for battle in a new poster. Uh, if you're watching the video version, you can see said poster uh, on, on your screens right now. Uh, it says here that um, it is nearing its release date on Netflix. And in celebration, the streaming giant recently dropped a brand new poster showcasing each of its newest series' uh, heroes and their weapons of choice. Uh, featured on the poster is Sophia Brown as uh, Ellie, I guess. Uh, Michelle Yeoh as uh, Cyan. Lawrence Ophirian as uh, Vijal, uh, Hugh Novelli as Brother Death, Francesca Mills as Medef, uh, and a few other people. I'm not going to go through this whole list. But, um, but uh, the first three names I mentioned are the one center stage of the poster with the rest uh, are in the, in the background. And, uh, yeah, so this is the prequel to The, the Witcher Season 1, if I'm not mistaken. Um and I'm not sure how much from the game is is, is being uh, taken, but it says here, yeah, The Witcher Blood Origin is set uh, 1,200 years before the events of Netflix's main Witcher series. So there you go. Next up. Thanks to Keanu Reeves, John Wick fans now know when the ballerina spinoff that's uh, uh going to come out takes place on the franchise's timeline so in an appearance that is shared on youtube uh reeves made an appearance at comic-con experience 2022 in brazil to discuss the john wick saga's fourth film that is releasing next year um keanu confirmed that ballerina has already started filming with anna de Armas starring in the project and len weissman uh attached as director however 
Reeves also revealed that the spin-off movie interestingly takes place between the events of John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum and Chapter 4, so it kind of makes it, implies that it's maybe not required watching for Chapter 4, but will probably fill in some of the gaps. Right. If there are any like kind of noticeable ones. Right, because especially knowing that he is going to, he as his character is going to be, going to be in here in some kind of way, maybe cameo. Exactly. Yeah, so interesting enough. Um, I'll say what I was about to say after I finish this next story in that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. I wanted to remind people that John Wick Chapter 4 is going to release prior to the ballerina Hmm. spinoff. So it's going to be retconned in. Yes. Uh, John Wick 4 is the hardest movie I've ever made, according to Keanu Reeves. So uh, it says here that uh, Reeves told Brazil's Amulet uh, during a post-panel discussion at CCXP uh, 2022, in terms of action, it's the hardest film I've ever made. But that's what makes it good. It says here, while talking to CCXP's Thunderstage... Uh, for the John Wick, yes, uh, John Wick Chapter 4 channel, Reeves earlier told the convention crowd that, quote, there's a lot of people that are coming after Wick, and there are a lot of different kinds of scenes that are fun for the action. So, yeah, the, the Matrix actor also, actor also teased an action sequence revolving the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, describing it as a fight scene in traffic. So, and I won't go to any farther than that. I also wanted to mention what I don't have in the lineup, but apparently, and I think this was at the same thing, that Keanu Reeves said something that he wouldn't mind having a um, a crossover with, I'm paraphrasing here, with Medea, Tyler Perry's Medea. Yeah, that was the face I also said. Okay. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll shoot you the, the article after after we uh, after we get off of here. But I was like, no, please don't. That's not too good. Exactly. <laughs> Next up, though, uh, we're going into uh, Anime Corner. Uh, Trigun Stampedo has been steadily hard at work at its big reboot anime premiere coming next year. And now fans know when it's going to hit with the reveal of its release date alongside the opening and ending themes for the new series. So um, Yasuhiro Naito's classic action series will be getting a full reboot of its own. Um, and it's going to be a wilder reboot than fans might expect. Um it's going to debut in January as part of the winter 2023 anime schedule. So that is soon. Yeah, uh, the new yeah. trailer not only confirms it will be launching on January 7th in Japan, so probably very soon after in the States. Um, and it reveals that the opening theme is titled Tomb, performed by Kvi Baba. And there's an ending theme titled Hoshi no Kuzu, Infinity. At, uh, no, not Infinity. Um, uh, Al- is that Alpha? Wait, what are you looking at? Hoshi Nokuzu. Is that Alpha? I forget the Greek letters. Oh, I believe that is Alpha. Okay. As performed by Seiyu X Haruka Nakamura. Okay. 
because I was about to say, I'm looking at another anime which has that symbol on it, and I think that's what that is. Um, I'm, you know, yeah, I was about to say, I wasn't part of the Greek scene in college, so I always forget. Yeah. What those are. Um, also, no melee. I'm still upset about that, but it'll be fine. And I was going to say that if Trigun Stampede is going to, uh, if, if, if it's going to be on Crunchyroll, I'm, I'm thinking they possibly will do, like, it'll be um, subtitled the day after, but I don't know if that's, I can't remember if that is the case. Likely, but don't know for certain. Um, Black Clover, Clover movie hypes up premiere with new promo. So Black Clover is getting ready for its feature film debut around the world next year. And uh, Black Clover Sword of the Wizard King is setting up fans for what to expect with a cool new promo. The TV run of the series might have come to an end quite a while ago, but it was announced that the anime franchise would be continuing with its debut movie project. Fans were left in the dark for quite a while as to what to look forward to with this new movie, and now it is releasing. Now that it's releasing next year, Black Clover has been showing off quite a lot from its big feature hitting in the spring. Uh, that's I don't know why they felt like they needed to repeat that, but okay. But um, the trailer is highlighting a couple of characters. I'm not too familiar with Black Clover, Clover so I couldn't tell you who these people are. Um, but regardless, it's out there if you are familiar with it. Next up. My Hero Academia's sixth season, the current season, has seen the deaths of many heroes while also striking a major blow to the villains. While the main event in last week's episode is the battle taking place between Deku, uh, Midoriya, and Shigaraki, as the struggle between All for One and One for All continues, a smaller but perhaps more brutal battle is brewing that sees Toga at Uravati's throat. So, you know, I will just say, you know, uh, I don't want to get into spoilers if you have not watched the episode, but I will say that the sixth, this current season, the sixth season, is doing an excellent job of adapting the manga in a very epic, in a in a very epic fashion. Gotcha. Uh, Demon Slayer promises to drop its new teaser before anyone expected, uh, according to this article. So it says that there was an update courtesy of Demon Slayer's Twitter. So it's from the source. Uh, the anime just confirmed that the TV anime will release a new uh, PV for its uh, 2023 projects uh, in a less than a week of this article, which was... Uh, Last week, so, so this real. Is, I was just, today since we've already crossed into December tenth. Correct. Yes. So the real will be, as Agent Seven said, will be released today, um, Saturday, as as of as we are recording. Uh, it says it will record. It will air as an upcoming free run of Demon Slayer, uh, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Infinity Train. Man, if you who's gonna relive, relive we want to relive that again? <laughs> I can't do it. Shout out to Rengoku. Exactly. Oh, man. Oof, that's hard. Um, we might. But anyway. Yeah, so we will, uh, I'm sure, if, if if and or when it does uh, do a thing, we will let y'all know next week uh, as to what that entails. But you will probably right. have already found it. Right it'll be available. Right. It'll be available publicly on YouTube, you know, soon after. And then we'll have a chance to really look at it. So. Yep. Next up. Alrighty, next up. Uh, Bleach Thousand Year Blood War just launched apparently in a, uh, one of anime's best fights. 
So Bleach struck out with a new episode this week, and all eyes are on its big showdown. Okay, I'm unfamiliar with Bleach, so I will take some of the hyperbole from this article's writer and just say that apparently it's a big smackdown. Ooh, Kipachi versus Una, Unahana. Interesting. Okay. I, I'm not also caught up, um, but I know at least one of those characters. So, yeah, that's probably going to be a pretty good fight. And you also skipped one, but we'll get no. to Oh, I did skip one. I see. Yeah. I, I skipped over that. Do you want to just do the one punch? Yeah, I'm going to, because actually, that actually brings up something I was going to mention for that's current that we, I know both of us are watching. One Punch Man drops JC Staff, joins Mappa, Mappa for season three, which slightly is kind of sad, but that's for a whole other reason that I probably won't get into right now. But, um,. Mappa will produce season three of One Punch Man. As per Shonen Leaks, according to this article, the report revealed that Mappa will now handle the third season. Wow, that's like saying it like three different times. Over the course of this run, the, the hit anime adaptation has been shuffled around to several animation studios. which I, And it's noticeable. Yes, because uh, our styles are very noticeable. Um, Madhouse. Or noticeably different. Yes. Um, let's say Madhouse, and then JC Staff with uh, Shikara Sakurai replacing Shingo Natsume as director. And uh, as for season three, details on the next installment are still scarce. Now, one, this is cool because Mappa's been hitting on all cylinders. Two, that's putting a lot more work on Mappa, who's already got a lot of their plate. And that's sad for the, for the, for the animators. Yeah, uh, because they do incredible work. You know, they're still obviously working on Attack on Titan, the final season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've just churned out, they're continuing to churn out Chainsaw Man. Exactly, which is what I was about to mention, because, wow, I, you saw the last episode, right? Oh, yeah. Speaking of John Wick, there was a John Wick turn by one of the characters, <laughs> kind of one of the characters that I wish I, we could have seen more of, because I honestly didn't expect it from that character. Yeah, well, we're both unfamiliar with the manga. Right. So it was amazing mm-hmm. to see this character. We're not going to spoil it because just in case it only came out on Tuesday, so it really has only been a few days. Right. Um, it was amazing to see what this character was actually capable of. Right. But also not surprised, but well, I don't know if we, well, yeah, because I was about to say, and also not surprising that something didn't, that we thought happened last uh, episode did not happen to a, another character. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it did, and they, they, there's clearly got a contract to deal with that or something. We don't know. But regardless, we also found find out some more of what this character, other character that I'm talking about is capable of that we haven't seen. So I hope they get more into that also, which I'm sure they will. Anywho, um, let's see. Now we're getting over to the, the manga corner. All right, I'll play this. All right, so mangaka Tite Kubo, uh, forgive me if I mispronounced that, announced that he is scheduled to make an appearance during Bleach's Super Stage EX event at the upcoming Jump Fest 2023. Tite Kubo is the creator of Bleach, and it confirmed... Uh, his official Twitter account confirmed that he's attending Bleach's Super Stage as a panelist alongside the Japanese voice actors from the manga series' beloved anime adaptation. 
this is uh, a Bleach's Super Stage EX is set to premiere on December 17th, so that's next week at 7 p.m. Japanese Standard Time. And okay, I listen. Bleach is one of those long-running series, like One Piece, that is just a little too intimidating for me to jump into right now. So I'm going to stick with you, you Hakusho, <laughs> and then figure out where I want to go from there. Because I don't think I'm going to do another uh, Attack on Titan rewatch, because I know people are just you know nuts. They just keep <laughs> going back to it. But at the end of the day, uh, I do have to bite the bullet on one of these kind of two you know, really long running anime series, you know, either one piece or bleach. And this is my bias showing. I, and I, and I recognize this. So that's why I say this uh, out of those two bleach is probably more approachable. Um, it does have its slow spots. Um, and also not as long as, um, <laughs> not as long yeah, as I mean, one piece is piece. thousands of episodes. Right. So, even with this new installment that's out there, I think it's still still is not so. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, My Hero Academia creator reveals a new sketch of All Might's mentor. So uh, Kohei uh, Horikoshi is currently working on the final arc of his fan favorite shonen series, My Hero Academia. But the manga Ka has taken the opportunity to release new artwork for each new episode of the anime adaptation. Uh, with the war arc taking place in six, season six, the latest installment has brought back one deceased character who remains a part of the series, thanks in parts to her connection to One for All. Uh, Nana Shimura might be dead, but her shadow continues to loom large. And uh, you can see the sketch if you're watching the video version, or you can check it out in Stone Roots for yourself. I was about to say, wait, is that Chun-Li? But no. And also, okay. <laughs> okay, Manga Kai, we see you. Um, next up. All right, so there is a video uh, promotion that has been released to hype up um, Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 21 because it's set to release soon, I think. I'm trying to read through this. Um so the manga is entering a new climactic next stage and oh it's actually now hitting shelves across Japan volume 21 hmm. uh it's called the culling game and uh let's see here so this arc has you know shown off some of the biggest fights in the series thus far and uh there is a link to the YouTube video uh, hyping up this uh, upcoming manga release or this current new manga release that is yep. Santa Moon announces a magical manga bundle with Cuposket figure um, I don't know if that's a typo if that's actually well, I guess that is how it is supposed to be um, as announced by publisher Kodansha USA on Twitter fans of the magical girl series will be able to take home a copy of volume one of the Sailor Moon uh, Nako Takeuchi collection, which will come with a special Sailor Moon figurine. Uh, the figurine, which uh, depicts Princess Serenity and her Sailor Scout gear, will only be available through the exclusive bundle and will not be sold separately. Uh, hitting shows, uh, store shelves in January 2023, uh, the bundle retails at $39.99 with a limited quantity. So all you Sailor friends, Sailor Moon fan fans, have fun with that next up all righty transitioning over to 
comic book news. Uh, my apologies, folks. Let me get this article opened up for my review. A new Batman villain has an unexpected Wildcats tie that is the Wildstorm part of the DC Universe. Wildstorm 30th Anniversary Special Number 1 reveals that a newer Batman villain not only has history with Black Canary, but also the character Zealot from Wildcats as well. So this is these are spoilers for Wildstorm 30th Anniversary Special Number 1, on sale now from DC Comics. came out last week. Right. Did not have a chance to look through it. But um, the final story in the special is titled Zealots, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by John Boy Myers, and colored by Sebastian Chang with letters by Wes Abbott. The short story revisits Angel Breaker's new role, serving as the League of Shadows' leader, uh, following the events of the Shadow War crossover event. Okay. (laughs) And apparently this character... Uh, let's see. Angel Breaker's public involvement in Shadow War causes Zealot to hunt her down and seek out revenge over some shared history the two have. Okay. Which Angel Breaker sounds like a Street Fighter character. Um, which if if uh, I could, I could have, but technically I I spared Agent Seventy this because there was some Street Fighter news that came out of Game uh, Gamescom. I mean Games uh, Awards last night. Anywho. Uh, speaking of games, is there news. Anything, is there anything big? Um, something. I mean, there's some new characters. DJ's back from uh, Street um, uh, Hyper. Was it Street Fighter or Two Hyper? Whatever it was. Sorry, Championship Edition. Excuse me. That's what it was. Okay. But yeah, DJ's back, and there's like three or four other new characters that they're putting in. So there's a lot of stuff, and I think a couple of other new modes. They're putting a lot in this new Street Fighter. It's kind of ridiculous. That's kind of cool. I mean, listen, as a Street Fighter OG aficionado, Mm -hmm. right, and carrying it forward into, like, the Marvel brand of Street Fighter, um, I miss the days of going to the arcade and pumping quarters into the machine. Um, Obviously, I, you know, I've let the console wars pass me by, Mm -hmm. you know, like the far side. And, um, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a new gen console just to play Street Fighter. Or any variation of Street Fighter or Marvel Superheroes or Marvel vs. Capcom. But I still have a very fond, you know, memory and a, and a soft spot for Street Fighter-related things. Gotcha. Interesting that you mentioned the, the arcade connection because they do have, uh, I think, the the hub world that you go into is basically a bunch of arcade machines that you sit down and, and challenge people uh, to. And actually, they're putting a lot of Capcom games in it, too. So, it's yeah, they're putting a lot in their thing. Anywho. Um, Kevin Conroy will be Batman one last time in upcoming Suicide Squad uh, game. This was also news from um, from uh, the Game Awards last night because there was a trailer for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, uh, the video game that is coming up next year, uh, which uh, mostly dealt with um, Captain Boomerang and the, the body of a dead Flash while uh, Harley Quinn, Deadshot, and King Shark Look onto the shadows in, hor- uh, in horror as Batman kills an, a hapless uh, police officer. Um, then the screen cuts to black as the late uh, Kevin Conroy shouts his most famous line, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. I am Batman. Yep, that's how I remember it. Yep. yep. And uh, I believe there was a, um, I can't remember if it was at the end of the trailer, but I think it was a, like a, 
Yeah, it was a tribute to Kevin Conroy at the end of the um, at the end of that trailer. He says, "Thank you, Kevin." So, uh, so I guess yeah, Kill the Justice League is going to be Kevin Conroy's last performance next year. So, yeah. Next up, a new video game based on Mike Mignola's character Hellboy, titled Hellboy Web of Weird or Word, has. Was announced at the Game Awards ceremony. Web of Weird is currently available to wishlist, but and will in the future be playable on PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X slash S, Nintendo Switch, and Steam. It's developed by Upstream Arcade and Good Shepherd Entertainment in partnership with Dark Horse Comics and Mike Mignola. An official release date has not yet been announced. Yeah, apparently it's a roguelike. Those are all the rage uh, the, in the last few years, so that ought to be interesting. Um, I was going to mention that to our resident Hellboy fan, uh, uh, Dirt, but I know he's more interested in like the art and not necessarily, he may or may not be interested in anything else outside of <laughs> outside of the book itself. But anywho, uh, what if Hybridor Stomper comes to life as a massive Hot Toys figure? So it is available for pre-order on Sideshow, and the upcoming screen accurate collectible set includes a six-scale Steve Rogers figure that stands approximately 11 inches tall and comes with a, quote, newly developed head sculpt and hair sculpture with remarkable likeness, meticulously tailored outfit, a backpack, a selection of interchangeable hands, and a display base. Worth notice that this is from uh, an animated version of Steve Rogers. So, you know, um, I was going to say how hard is it to get that wrong, but, you know, stranger things have happened with uh, mm-hmm. toys. So the collectible set is expected to ship between December 2022 and January 2023. And price is, oh, it says the Hydra Stomper is 22 inches tall. So that's why it's so big. Uh wow. Six hundred and twenty five bucks. Not surprising, hot toys is expensive anyway. But that's still hard. Yes. So next up. Alright, Marvel Zombies' Heroes Resistance is a crowdfunded board game which lets players team up to take down zombified versions of their favorite heroes in a tabletop strategy adventure. It is now available to purchase. It is currently listed for sale on Barnes & Noble. The game is, an uh, I guess, on the Barnes & Noble's website. The game is an offshoot of Guillotine Games, or Guillotine Games' popular Zombicide board series, which is known not only for its core mechanics, but also for its intricately detailed pieces. This is obviously based in part on the Marvel Zombies comic series. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Ex- ex- oh, the game is listed as... Uh, on uh, BNN Barnes and Noble as costing thirty four ninety nine. Yeah, probably it's just basically just they just uh, adapted the, the zombie uh, zombie side rules to Marvel Zombies. If I cared about zombies much less Marvel Zombies, I would probably pick that up, <laughs> but I don't. Um, Marvel Crisis Protocol announces Rhino as the first twenty twenty three miniature. So, earlier this week, uh, Atomic Mass Games announced the addition of Rhino to its skirmish miniature game, Marvel Crisis Protocol. 
Uh, additional details about Rhino were not available, but it sparked hope that the game would uh, be expanding its Spider-Foes affiliation with some new figures. The last Spider-Foes added to the game were Craven the Hunter and Lizard in mid-2021. The preview image of Rhino was also provided, which can be seen in the article in the show notes, or if you're watching the, the video version of the podcast uh, right now. Uh, says Rhino's character pack will be released in January 2023. No word on price. Next up. All I have to say is it's probably more expensive than you're comfortable paying. Um, I have to I have to admit, if I were in a different tax bracket, I would be sorely tempted. <laughs> sorely tempted. You know, I'm a little bit over the collecting thing. That's the problem. I, you know, like when you hit a certain stage in life, you're like, eh, do I really need this? You know, there's a time in life when you're just like, I don't care. Right? Sometimes that comes and goes. It's not an age, uh, uh, it's not an age dependent thing. Sometimes it's just a phase in life. Right? Sure. But this crisis protocol thing, especially if you're like a Warhammer person, forget about it. If you happen to be into Warhammer and you're like a Marvel fan, this Crisis Protocol stuff is right up your alley. It's like hero clicks on steroids. I was about to mention that, yeah, like or in some some you know hero clicks in the same fashion, yeah. Right, but this is definitely on another level, another higher definitely. level. Definitely. Um, but yeah, next up. All right, one moment. The long-awaited final chapter of the Marvel's Wastelanders audio epic has arrived. Marvel and SiriusXM announced their newest original scripted podcast, Marvel's Wastelanders, premiered on Monday, December 5th. Marvel's Wastelanders is the sixth and final installment of the popular series and marks the first ever audio crossover event for Marvel's podcasts. Okay. So this is, you know, this has some big name actors attached to the voice roles. Mm-hmm. So including Timothy Busfield as Star-Lord, Stephen Lang as Hawkeye, Susan Sarandon as Black Widow, Robert Patrick as Wolverine, and Dylan Baker as Doctor Doom. The T-1000 is playing Wolverine. Who'd have thunk? Um, come on, as this article loads. There we go. Star Wars Jedi Survivor follows a changing Cal Kestis. Uh, so this was another um, uh, announcement at the uh, Game Awards from last night. Um, there was a trailer. Uh, the the game is going to be released uh, March seventeenth, twenty twenty-three. Cameron Monaghan, who plays Cal um, Cal Kestis, uh, was on hand at the Game Awards uh, to introduce the new trailer for it and the trailer is uh and i guess they also he also spoke with uh, ign for this article uh, and yeah there's a new trailer out there for that game which i still haven't played the first one um but it looks good and i i'm probably going to end up playing the the first one before this new one comes out next up cal kick Cal Kestis has come a long way since Order 66 first forced him into hiding, in, into hiding uh, which was detailed in uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. Uh, StarWars.com uh, has given folks a first glimpse at Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars, a new novel by Sam Maggs set between, the video, between uh, Jedi Fallen Order and the highly anticipated sequel, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
Star Wars unveils an iconic return of the Jedi collector's classic book. Uh, CBR has a f- exclusive first look at, Star- at this book, um, which covers, excuse me, book's cover, which sports an illustration of Luke Skywalker dueling uh, Darth Vader by comic book artist Al Williamson. Williamson's artwork also adorns the interior of the book itself and is taken directly from his legendary Marvel Comics adaptation of Star Wars Return of the Jedi uh, with writer Archie Goodwin. Uh, Lucasfilm and publisher Abrams describes Star Wars Return of the Jedi, a collector's classic board book, as perfect for fans of all ages. Thanks to its high-quality design, including four gatefold spreads, the book's announcement is time to coincide with Lucasfilm's uh, Bring Home the Galaxy holiday gift-giving campaign, although fans may have to wait until May 2023 to get their hands on a copy. Uh, Is there a price for this? No, there is not. Next. Uh, Marvel celebrates Black History Month in February with variant covers, backup stories, and more. So in advance of Black History Month, you know, obviously with uh, the uh, announcement of solicitations uh, three months in advance, um, you know, uh, as a precursor to that, uh, New York, uh, at New York Comic Con, Marvel Comics announced some of the exciting things coming uh, as it celebrates Black History Month this upcoming February. Um, now you can discover more about the stories and creators that await in Marvel's Voices Wakanda Forever. And uh, you'll be able to look at four Black History Month variant covers and learn about special Black History Month backup stories that will appear in select issues throughout February. Okay. Cool. Uh, Iron Man is experimenting on a robotic version of Thanos, um, which I think this is for that uh, Thanos uh, Death Notes number one that came out this week. Oh. Um, it says, Bring me Robo Thanos! <laughs> uh, it says, uh, da, 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 da. yeah, it's a follow-up story to the Mad Titan's first appearance from Marvel Comics. It's written by Iron Man scribe Christopher Cantwell and illustrated by Travel Foreman. Uh, the short story, All That Is, uh, which is told uh, in Thanos Destinos No. 1, will take place immediately after the events of The Invincible Iron Man No. 55 from 1973, uh, Thanos' comic book debut, uh, which saw Iron Man and Drax the Destroyer, this is classic Drax, not the one y'all know now, <laughs> uh, team up in a fight uh, to fight Thanos. But their battle ended up with Thanos escaping, spoiler alert, for a a 49-year-old story. <laughs> um, and leaving a robot duplicate behind him to distract him. Wow, that story is always as old as I am. Mm-hmm. Just letting that sit real quick. But, yeah, so there's a preview for Thanos Death Note's uh, story um, in this article if you're so interested. Next up. Skybound Comet has debuted a brand new trailer for the hotly anticipated Ava's Demon Book One Reborn, acclaimed author Michelle Fuss's or Fuse's book, first book in a new series of graphic novels collecting their groundbreaking YA webcomic, which also set webcomics crowdfunding records on Kickstarter and is now available for the first time in the book market. Okay. Uh, Ava's Demon Book One Reborn will be available at comic book shops on Wednesday, May 24th, 2023, and everywhere books are sold, along with uh, digital platforms like Kindle, Apple Books, Comixology, and Google Play on Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. 
sad news, uh, Tim Kennedy, longtime Archie uh, Comics artist, passes away. Um, let's see. He's been... Uh, he's a longtime uh, Archie Comics artist who's been working regularly for the company ever since being hired in 1989, generally alongside his twin brother, Pat Kennedy. Um, says that uh, Kennedy and his brother both graduated from the Joe Kubert uh, School of Cartooning and Graphic Design in 1985. They were both hired at uh, Archie in 1989 with work from the pair beginning to really start at the, uh, at the company uh, in earnest in 1990. So, uh, and it goes on uh, with an excerpt from a story from uh, Archie Pals and Gals 213. Um, it goes into some uh, Archie comics history around that time. And uh, it doesn't necessarily, so far, I'm not seeing. Uh, there was a statement from um, Archie editor in chief uh, Mike uh, Pellerito who issued a statement about the passing, uh, which I won't read because it's long, but I don't see what the cause of death is, so um, I don't think it says here. But there you go. Next up. Last but not least, folks. Last but not uh, not least this week. Um... The upcoming Masters of the Universe, Masterverse, promises to be great for old and new fans of He-Man. All right. So if you are a fan of He-Man, you will want to check out this upcoming comic from Mattel and Dark Horse Comics. Masters of the Universe, Masterverse, is going to be a four-issue anthology series with issue one written by Tim Seeley, art by Eddie Nunez, Sergio Aragones, that's a that's a interesting name, and right. Kelly Jones, and color by Rico Renzi and Brennan Wagner, and it will also feature a variant cover by Mike Bignola and Dave Stewart. Uh, there is an official synopsis here that is on the page that Roddy Cat is showing you. I'm not going to read it all. Um, and uh, that's cool news. I'm looking to see... Oh, this book will be available on February 15th, 2023, and is now available for pre-order at your local comic book shop. I'm looking at these images. It does not say what the cover price will be. Yeah, it doesn't. So I, we can assume three ninety nine, but we don't we don't know that for certain. Yeah, we don't know for sure. Um, I'm slightly curious because Sergio um, Aragonez, you know, most notably from Mad Magazine, is is doing and Gru the Wanderer and Gru. Well, yeah, still. I mean, yeah, well, I guess still because didn't Gru come out of Mad Magazine? Anyway, I do not recall. I want to say yes, but I'm not sure about that. So not, yeah, I didn't grow that. up as a Mad reader, mm-hmm. so I I I I knew Sergio Aragonez from Gru. Right. Because I would see the advertisements for Gru in the pages of Marvel Comics and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Right. I want to say it did, but don't quote me on that. I'll have to go ahead and check, but I'm not right now because it's late. And that, folks, is the end of the news for tonight. Can we get one more ad read? Our last ad read of the night, and you know what we read when it's late. We've had a lot of things to talk about. Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcasts Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. 
purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CS Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And that concludes this here podcast for tonight. We will be back next Thursday night, um, most likely the same bat time, same bat channel like we normally do. Um, I know I said I was going to stream uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns uh, last Saturday, and I did not get a chance to do that then or any time during the course of the week, but that stream is still coming. I know most people have seen it and or played it by now, so it might be irrelevant. But still, for for scientific purposes, purposes, you know, still got to do it. Well, not still got to do it, because I can still play it by myself. <laughs> but regardless, I'm still playing on stream at some point, because I did promise to myself. Uh, that being the case, yeah, we don't have anything coming up. Still no movie protocol or any, any of that kind of good mess. So we're got another good week of comics uh, ahead of us. Right. And as I said earlier, maybe we'll catch up on some of the things we did not get to this week. Yeah, 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 indeed. Uh, and with that, I have been Roddy Cat. You can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can find me at uh, CB Caps on Instagram. You can also find me at Hive on Roddy Cat, but I think that's still kind of having some issues. Nevertheless, you can find Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, PC and underscore Dirt on Twitter. PopCultureNet on Twitter. Uh, PopCultureNetwork.com is on umbrella site they're in. And Tim, D-O-G-G-9-8 on Twitter, uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Combo Chronicles Twitter account, uh, The Click Nation on Twitter, that's T-H-E-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N, all one word, and uh, TheClickNation.com, but also he's over at ComicBooks.com where he's over there writing his face off. You can find this here podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network, the CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us on your podcast browser place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal of the Podcast Network SoundCloud page. Uh, you could also find us, like I said, recording every Thursday night, 9.30-ish uh, Eastern Standard Time on uh, the YouTube channel of The Click Nation. That's youtube.com slash The Click Nation and twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. Uh, you know, like and subscribe, do all that kind of good jazz. Yes, it's late, folks. We're <laughs> we're running out of we're running on fumes at this point. Uh, lovely. Uh, so yeah, not to believe it. Point. Uh, this has been the Comic Book Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs>